Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, that Monday night football game, that sent entertainment back a little bit, right? Geno Smith is no Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks were struggling with Russell Wilson. And Jameis Winston is no Drew Brees, but it was enough to get the win. So, 13-10 in, uh, in the rain. It was a bit of a slog. It was all about the defense. Now, <clears throat> they've had issues, and Drew Brees was actually getting into this on the Manning broadcast last night. You know, the Saints have had to relocate, but they are 4-2. and two. They've only got to play one true home game. They've had to move games. But they're 4-2, and two, and they are playing the Bucks. On Halloween, the Bucks are six and one. So, if you want to win the division, this would be a good time to get a win. And I don't think they can do it. I mean, I think we all think it's the Bucks. The Bucks have looked great, and the Saints—they've—they've they've been grinding out some wins. Maybe they can grind one more out. Big game though, if they intend to to intend to win that division. All right, DJ and PK, it is time now to talk college football. Going to hear from the coaches. Kyle Winningham coming up, Kalani Sitaki coming up, but let's start. Blake Anderson, Aggie coach, with PK and I after a narrow 26-24 win over Colorado State. Put the Aggies all alone atop the Mountain Division of the Mountain West Conference. Here's the coach of the first place Aggies, Blake Anderson. Coach, good morning. Good morning. Are you just aging in dog years right now? <laughs> Football years, yes, I am. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll just keep taking them, but man, it is brutal to uh, on the heart and uh, the nerves, no doubt. Man, what a game! On the flip side, how much of this uh, improbable sometimes, and you look, look, you looked uh, possible strong possibility of defeat on on Friday night. On the flip side, how much is it building confidence in the team? Like we can do this, no matter what. Yeah, I think I think there's some of that there. I mean, when you look at how some of these games have gone and the last second scores and even, you know, surviving this one as crazy as that got. I think every time you go out, there's some, there's some confidence that, that builds within the team that kind of been here, done that, don't have to panic. Uh, didn't, didn't panic the other night, didn't play great in the, in the, yes, really the first time, I guess a little bit of UNLV the other day, you know, they were, they, I think their chances of, of success were pretty small with time and in the situation. This this was a little different. It was more very, very much uh, a real possibility that they're good enough to go down and, and tie it or win it. So I, I think it's the first time we've really been in that. To survive it even as ugly as it was, I think it's got to build some confidence in you guys. We've been there. We can do it. And, and maybe we'll respond even better you know, in, in the next situation that looks like that. Do you think putting them in situations like this in practice really pays off, or it's just different with twenty, thirty thousand people roaring, and just the fact you're able to do it? Washington State got these guys off on the right foot and got them rolling. Yeah, I, I, you put them in that situation in practice, but there's nothing quite like the real thing. The, the energy that's in the place, the the fact that yeah, if they do score here, we lose. I mean, you, you, they score in practice. Yeah, we lost the drill, but we get to try this again tomorrow. I mean, this is, you know, this is it. This is final. It happens, and you either get it done or you don't. You either make the shot or you don't. Uh, There's nothing like the gravity of that situation to learn from. And luckily, we're learning a lot of really good lessons after a win because we made a ton of mistakes that could have very easily cost us the game. And and we've, we've had this conversation before, but at least we're having it after wins and not after losses. And 
look all across the country, half of us got it done, half of us didn't. Yeah. A couple of things on those uh, things that you didn't do well, uh, allowing a running back uh, go for 159, and then the pass defense at the last uh, drive, which they end up missing the field goal by not, you know, we know how what happened there. Uh, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on a, a kid running for 160 yards and then uh, the other team allowing them to get down the field against the clock there at the end? Yeah, I would have, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me a ton that their their rushing yards is going to be fairly high. They're built huge, way bigger than we are right now. And so we're, we're trying to do a lot of things with slanting, moving, and quickness. And it, at times it worked, at times it didn't. But everybody they put on the field offensively, even including the wideouts, are, are big. I knew it was going to be it was going to be about slowing them down and, and hopefully getting them off schedule somewhere and, and making them kick some field goals. And I thought we did a really really good job of that up until the last two drives. And, and the thing about the last two drives is we got way out of character. We saw a lot of the same concepts and and things formationally that we'd already seen in the game and defended well. I think we we let the you know that that moment, the emotion of that moment, really have us do some things that that we had not done the whole game, and that's where the frustration uh, comes in, and that's something we're going to teach off of because we literally saw, we didn't see any new route combinations, any new formations, we just got outside the framework of the defense, and we gave up some big plays. Had we just played it the way we played them earlier in the game, in similar calls, you know, we, I felt like we could have got them off the field. So that's that's where. I think we'll learn a lot, and again, we're learning it after a close, you know, win as opposed to uh, a close loss, and, and we're fortunate in that sense. Right. So the media and the fan base can look at the standings and say three and one. Wow, they're in the lead. They got the tiebreaker on CSU and Air Force. They can win this division. They should win this division. So there'll be a lot of that talk, and I'm wondering. You know, you had a big rebuild in front of you, we thought, coming in off a one-win season, new coaching staff and all that. At what point did you or have you brought up winning the division and going to the conference title game? I haven't brought it up at all. We don't talk about it at all. This is the same team that the entire football world, including most of our fan base, thought would have been, you know, two and five, not five and two. So um, we've been favored in two games all year and and, and – one against a one double A opponent, and one against a team that was was uh, is still haven't won a game in two years. I mean, I, I get who we are and who we're not, and we don't talk about any of that. We're talking about being one degree better today. We we still make a ton of mistakes that can lose us any game down the stretch. I, I said this: we could win them all, we could lose them all just as easily, and we're we're we are in a rebuild. But these guys are battling, and we're finding a way to be successful as we build. I mean, we're not big enough yet. But we overcome it with speed and quickness and, and toughness and just energy level. Uh, we don't have enough depth at any position yet, but we'll get there. But we didn't want to wait to be competitive, and the kids have allowed us to be competitive while we develop, while we recruit, while we fill in gaps and holes, and, and while we build this program. And we're only going to get better, but for right now, I mean, you, you got to give the kids the credit. They believe, and they're working hard, and they're, they're out running and out working and outlasting people is really what they're doing. So you speak of that depth, that running back, Tyler, did not play. Your leading rusher, Noah, didn't have a great uh, average per carry, but, man, he's a tough nut who can get you some some yards the tough way, can he? Yeah, no doubt. Physical runner. Uh, I thought he and, and Locke both came in and, and ran the ball physically. That's probably 
if it's not the best front we've seen, I think the entire D line and line, I think they're all seniors. They are really good. They they handled this most of the night, but luckily we were able to spread them out a little bit and find some creases and a huge, a couple of huge runs, especially late in the game while we're trying to get the clock down and make it really tough for them to have enough time to to come back. Uh, I wish we'd have popped one more on third and two or three down here and, and been able to extend that drive. But I, I thought I thought Noah did a really really good job. He protects the ball. He's not going to outrun you know a defense. But he can he can make the guy miss and, and and fall forward when he's getting collision. And you saw some of those really really tough yards against a very good defensive front. That uh, I mean, ultimately, just enough to help us win the game. Blake Anderson joining us, Utah State head coach. Uh, is Tompkins just going to keep doing this? I mean, he's got to be a Mark <laughs> Ban by now. Six catches, 104 yards. It's another day at the office. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, they, they they had him doubled the entire day. They 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 were not going to let him get singled. But he, again, you got to give uh, Coach Tuck and Coach Cephalo credit for creating some some different looks, some leverage points to get him clean. Uh, yeah, obviously, Derek Wright stepped up and had a huge game. Uh, Brandon Bowling had another huge catch or two. One of the best catches of the night on a, on a third and long late in the game when we're trying to run the clock out. So I mean, it's. All hands on deck, and everybody's doing a great job, but it's just hard to take a guy away that's that versatile that can really line up at, at five different positions, and we're doing that. Uh, you're going to double him here, but then you're going to catch him in a single, and, and, and he and Bonner are, are, are doing a great job of connecting. Their timing is really good. They're on the same page. So I think there's a, I think everybody involved gets a lot of credit, and honestly, mostly him, because hardest working dude on the team, super high IQ, and can can line up at so many different spots, and so it gives you a lot of flexibility on how to try to get him open. The sequence of plays involving Bonner uh, early in the game is third and long, and he puts a pass right on the money. There was the, the coverage was excellent, but it was pinpoint accuracy. Couldn't have handed it better. And the next play, he scrambles and picks up a first down. I think you punted on that possession, so you didn't get any points, but. I was very impressed with him on back-to-back plays. And, you know, he's a new guy to us. You obviously know him back there from Jonesboro. But for us, we're just finding out about him now. I'm wondering, uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I, it dawned on me, you get any feedback from the NFL people regarding him? Well, they, they definitely see the arm talent. Uh, you know, he's he's battled a bunch of injuries, so he hasn't played a full season in quite a while. The last couple of years with thumb surgery and, some injuries a year ago, and then COVID made it. So to get him through a full season, and that's become a challenge. He got sacked eight times the other night. That's how good they were up front. He got hit several more. Uh, and we've obviously seen kind of the wear and tear that already he's taken this season. They see arm talent. They see a guy that doesn't need a lot of space to throw, which at that level is a huge thing because the pockets collapse so quickly. They see a guy that can move his feet enough to at least be mobile and, and protect himself a little when he's healthy. And they also see a super quick release. Now, turn the ball over too much, I think, to really say what his ceiling is. That's something he's not done in the past. I think part of that is he's learning kind of our new system. It's different than what he's done in the past. Uh, and hopefully that'll just continue to get better. He's got another year under his belt. Um, you know, he'll, he'll have a complete offseason in the summer. And I do think, you know, people are going to see him continue to grow. He does have the power to throw at the next level. Now, you know, he's not the big six foot four guy, so 
it would take the right system, but we're seeing a lot of guys that are in that six-foot range have success up there right now in the systems that are they're running that are very similar to ours. You got Hawaii coming up, and for years I think people are used to them spreading it out and throwing it all over the place, but uh, they got a running back averaging seven yards a carry. Uh, what what does Hunter do so well? How are they getting him those kind of numbers? Well, they're still spreading it out, but they're, it's more of what your you know your true spread RPO. They put a lot of guys in conflict. The quarterback can run as well, so you got to have a number for him. Todd Graham, the head coach there, very similar to what they did at Arizona State when he was there. Um, it just there's enough different ways to put you in conflict that it does create a lot of space for him, and he is talented. He can go. If you give him a if you give him a gap, he's going to outrun you to the end zone. We've seen that with some of the games they've won already this year and surprised some folks. So I love the fact they got to come to us. Uh, it's going to be a completely different look than what we just saw. These guys had two and three tight ends and packed in there. Todd, you know, Hawaii's going to spread you out and try to create space for this guy. And it's and he is faster. Not as big and as powerful as what we just saw, but he has a lot more speed. So if you're not right where you're supposed to be, I mean, he, he can get loose on you quick. That was going to be my other question, Coach Hunts Bonner, because we've seen him now limp off, holding various body parts as he's coming <laughs> off the field. Can anything be done to mitigate this? Because it does look like he's taking a beating. Yeah, we got to be we got to be a little smarter about uh, moving him a little bit. Uh, we're going to use the screen game a little bit more to our advantage. Uh, we're we're max protecting a lot, but honestly, even when we max protected, these guys were these guys were good enough to get there. We we knew they were good. They even exposed us a little bit more. We are playing down the line on the old line with some guys that haven't played a lot, and at times it, it, it was they were tough matchups. But we do. We talked a good bit over the you know yesterday and and this morning already about how to to create some uh, some different launch points for him and to slow things down and try to protect him a little bit more. And and I mean I, he 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 feels better I think this morning than than you might think. I mean he did get banged up a good bit, but. Luckily, it's just it's just that just kind of bumps and bruises. The more athletic and the better he feels, the the more he's able to protect himself. He just got to a point the other night. He was a little bit of a sitting duck. He was he was battling, and he's a tough dude. He ain't coming out, and and he obviously made some huge throws that helped us win that game. But um, I'm hoping we can kind of find that middle ground and protect him a little bit more. Coach, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week after the Hawaii game. Sounds great, guys. Appreciate it. There's Blake Anderson. When we come back, the first place Utes coming off a loss at Oregon State. Kyle Whittingham next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. Ah! From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Ah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 Zone. Time to go up on the hill to Kyle Whittingham's press conference. Yeah, a lot of bad news at Oregon State. Still some good news in the standings and a huge game with UCLA. Here's Kyle. Okay. All right. Coming off a physical game at Oregon State. Um, I thought our offense played well. We did some good things offensively. A lot of good things offensively. Uh, over 450 yards. 
total low, didn't turn the ball over. Uh, you know, very productive, a lot of first downs, 28 first downs. One thing we didn't do well in offense was red zone production. Got in the red zone eight times and only came in with four touchdowns, which is uh, – need two more you know if we can get six out of eight then that's a really good percentage but four out of eight uh, was really that was really our demise on offense was the was the red zone uh touchdown uh, percentage um defensively didn't play well at all soft in the run game uh, they rushed for 260 yards over six yards of carry which we knew going in that if that was uh, and that has been that has been Oregon State's MO all year long and we knew going in that if if they were able to do uh, what they usually do it wasn't going to be a, a good situation for us and they did exactly that they they ran the football uh, very effectively uh, not a lot of throwing yards enough uh, a couple hundred but uh, we just uh, weren't our usual selves on on defense, and that's, you know, it was early in the year we had that same issue, then it went away, and, and uh, as far as our run defense, and it showed back up on uh, on Saturday. So, so we sit uh, still in pretty good position in the Pac-12 South. You know, it's still anybody's, uh, well, not anybody's, but there's, uh, you know, three teams really uh, vying for it right now for the title, and uh, still not quite to the halfway point. At least we're not four games down, five to go in conference play. But a uh, big one this week, as they all are, against UCLA. Um, they're running the football well, you know, in addition, you know, second only to Oregon State in the uh, conference as far as uh, rushing production. They're playing the run extremely tough. Their, their defense allowing less than 100 yards a game rushing, which uh, is leading the league. And so they've got uh, dynamic players. The quarterback is a dynamic player. He's talented. Uh, two good running backs. And when the, the way the quarterback runs the ball, they got three really good runners. Um, receiver, uh, the Phillips kid's a, a great player. Uh, like I mentioned, defensively, they're, they're pretty stingy against the run. Uh, scoring 33 points or thereabouts uh, a game offensively, so very productive. They're a good team, and, and uh, uh, Chip is always hard to defend. He's going to have uh, you know some things you haven't seen every single week. He's got uh, things that uh, that you haven't practiced and, and that you got to be able to adjust to during the course of the game, and and uh, so we got to got a challenge ahead of us. Uh, we're at home, which is a positive. Back home in Rice Eccles. And uh, I think it's going to be a late kickoff. Has that been announced yet for sure? Yes, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. So there you go. Another late kickoff. So should be a great crowd and another great environment. So questions? Now, you, you, you've always been pretty stout on the run defense and different things that way. Where, where do you kind of assess that to right now. I mean, obviously, Devin was taken out of the game late, but where kind of some of Starting three freshman D, D linemen is, uh, <laughs> you never make excuses because if you're out there, you got to perform. But we're just not quite where we need to be up front yet. Uh, and uh, we've had flashes during the course of the year, but uh, not quite enough consistency. And, uh, you know, when we lost Devin, that was, that was obviously a blow, but we had been soft before he was gone. So it wasn't, uh, that wasn't the... Uh, the key to the whole thing, but we certainly missed him when he got got ejected. Kyle, with the red zone trips that ended with no points, were you were you okay with the play calling? Yeah, I think one time, one of the times we should have run the ball uh, more. I think it was the time when we we're heading, as we look at it, to our left, you know, in the left left uh, end zone. But uh, you know, you can always question the calls if they work. They're great calls, and if they don't, you know, you question them. But. But uh, I would like to see a little more physicality to answer your question in the in the, inside the five.
in the red zone. Devin, you had some time to presumably see the film. Do you still think that the Devin Lloyd targeting should not have been? Correct. I don't think it should be called. I do not think it should be called, my my estimation. and and uh, But I'm not the one that counts. So it was called, and, and uh, so we got to live with it. UCLA may or may not have DTR playing on Saturday. I mean, he got banked up in that Oregon game. He'll play. He's a tough kid. <laughs> he'll he'll be there. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he's not there. But how do you how do you prepare for somebody like him, knowing that you, you've seen dynamic running quarterbacks, but you know he's obviously given fits to a lot of. Teams. He has a lot like uh, the Arizona State quarterback. It'll be very similar to what he brings to the table, and uh, you know, we've seen him. This is the third time we've seen him, I guess, uh, through the years, but. Uh, he is uh, lightning quick, and like I said, he's like another running back on the field, essentially. How is UCLA's running attack like Oregon State's, and how is it It's a little more diverse. Oregon State just hammers you with the zone and the stretch, and they do it over and over, and they do it as good as anybody in the country. And uh, their blocking combinations, their, their footwork with their O-line, their aiming points, uh, how they get up to the next level. I mean, they're as good as there is in the country at that. And uh, UCLA has, uh, you know, got some similarities in the run game, but a little more. Uh, they'll give you a few more looks than than what uh, Oregon State will. Any of the injuries that were sustained Saturday are they serious or season-ending? Don't know for certain. We're still evaluating that. And in fact, what time is it noon? We should know by this afternoon a lot more. How, how do you teach physicality? I mean, obviously, like that's not been a that you have to worry about necessarily this program, but you think you want to be more physical. Where, where do you go from that? Well, you, you recruit it. First of all, that's the number one thing is you recruit physicality. And, and like I said, we've got some, some young front guys that aren't quite yet as big and strong as they're going to be. They're going to be really good. we got a lot of confidence in them going forward. But right now, uh, you know, we don't have the 315-pound lucky photos and guys we've had in the middle. They're, you know, 295, 290-ish. But, but uh, again, they'll get bigger and better as uh, time goes on. There's quite a bit of the quarterback run game for you guys. Are you comfortable with that? You took some yeah, I wouldn't say there was more quarterback run game. He pulled it down a few more times. There wasn't any more designed runs than we've had in the past. But you're 100% accurate. He took some hits, and that's you know it's a learning process. And I'm we're comfortable with with uh, Cam running the ball because he gives us so much when he does. But he's got to be much more use better judgment at the end of the runs and, and take some of those hits off himself by stepping out of bounds, sliding, whatever the case may be, because he's so competitive and such a. I mean, he wants to win uh, as bad as anybody I've ever been around and, and wants to do anything he can to help. And at times, he has put himself in some situations where, you know, you're just hoping he gets up because uh, there's some pretty good hits. And so hopefully going forward, we see him continue to add that 40 to 75-yard-ish range of runs or of yardage in the run game, but not take the uh, the hit at the end of the play. Be, a, be smarter and be able to uh, avoid that. Following up on that, with... Cameron Rising's decision to pull it, to tuck it and run. Mm -hmm. They picked up some some first down, some good yardage. Oh yeah. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the decision making with in terms of I thought he did a great job with that, and, and when when the you know things were not there and things were covered up, I, I don't think he prematurely pulled it down. I think he I think he made good decisions each time, and uh, that's uh, you know that what he brings to the table in the run game is is part of what makes him so effective. He's in the top ten in the nation in QBR. I think he's number eight. He was number five last week, and and that's your best barometer of how a quarterback is playing because it 
takes into account everything, how often he's getting sacked, how many yards he's getting rushing the football, how well he's throwing the football, all that is is packaged into that uh, rating. And he's, is, you know, he's playing really well. Kyle, with Devin out for the first half on Saturday, how do you balance the rest in practice knowing that he's not playing for two quarters? Yeah, that's, that's another good question. And, and we uh, will have to have a, a guy ready for the first half that will take his reps. And, and we'll just have to split those up and divide them kind of 50-50 you know, with what Devin gets and what, what the, the replacement kid will get. And so that's uh, going to be a juggling act. But uh, you know, Devin is a, a very experienced, accomplished guy. He doesn't need a ton of reps. And so we'll probably err on giving the, the, the backup uh, or the guy that's going to start in place of him more reps. It's only one game, but the special teams have been kind of close getting kicked, blocked. Yeah. Where, where do you go from here now with, with the... Yeah, well, first of all, the, the uh, first block was you got it out in 184, which is really fast. It was a, it was a protection breakdown. It wasn't... Uh, the punter mechanics it was just slow now the second one which fortunately didn't count because that would have been even more disastrous uh, at that point in the game uh it was get too close to the shield that was a, a an error with the punter getting too close to the shield and the kick came out really low trajectory i don't know if you saw it in slow motion but but very low trajectory and so that was uh, more on the punter but but uh you know people have been testing us you know and particularly in the last game when we have a new snapper because uh, our snapper's gone for the season so so they're going to test you out but but it wasn't a snapping issue the snapper played just fine in the game on saturday and did a great job with his uh place kicking snaps as well as short snaps but uh, that was a uh, is a concern and we got to shore that up this week could you evaluate uh, the contributions that uh, theo howard has made to the program to see the right theo's uh, done a nice job for us uh, maybe caught not hasn't cut as many balls as maybe we projected at least not yet uh, had to leave the game with an injury on Saturday. Uh, one of those injuries that we're, we talked about that we won't know uh, for certain whether he's uh, going to be able to go or not for, for a, a day or two. But uh, Theo's a, a guy that works hard. He's a great teammate, always uh, has a great attitude, and, and uh, really enjoy having him on our team. In a general sense, um, do you worry about the emotional toll on the players moving forward here with this season in light of what's happened? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's always, that's, that's something that we're continuing to, to work through. And, and uh, like I said before, we'll get through it. We won't get over it, but we will get, at some point get through it completely. Um, but it's, uh, it's a challenge. Everything's a challenge. I mean, everything is, uh, I get, I worry about everything. And that's one of the things that uh, has been, uh, certainly hard on our team is, is uh, working through that, if that answers that. What was your biggest takeaway from the game against Oregon State for your team just as a whole? What, what was your takeaway? Uh, I would say the takeaway is we got a bunch of competitive guys that have no quit in them. I would say the offense is starting to find a rhythm. Knock on wood, you know, hopefully that continues. We That's two games over 450 yards of offense. and a bunch of first downs and a bunch of points and taking care of the football. And so hopefully we're starting to uh, discover and, and, and be who we, who we uh, envisioned we could be early in the season or in, the, in fall camp. Uh, defensively, inconsistent throughout the year. Uh, more good than bad, but some games that we just, that's not us. You know, games that we just, it's not our, it's not our uh, uh, usual 
defensive output. And the special teams has been, as we mentioned, uh, had some real uh, bad moments. You know, there's some bright spots too with Covey in the return game. You know, we're as good as there is in the country in punt return, but as good as we are there, we're that bad in some other areas. If your defense isn't able to kind of be to the standard that you've had, do you feel, do you feel confident in your offense in the, t- in, the, in the sense that maybe you could win games in the shootouts and, and traditionally you kind of grind it out a little bit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and uh, I think our defense is going to be fine in the long run. You know, I'm not. T- I'm talking beyond this year. Again, we're you keep going back to it, but when you got seven or eight, nine, ten freshmen that are playing considerable, there's going to be some. You're going to take some lumps. There's just no way around it. You can't. You can't not have that happen. Is our offense ready to win a game 51-48? We're getting closer. You know, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. But but uh, we're. We're uh, certainly not where we need to be on defense right now. What is the strength of UCLA's defense? Uh, athleticism and speed. They got they got talented guys. Uh, they got a good defensive tackle. 96, I think, is his number. 91, 96. Big, strong kid in the middle. Um, they're very sound. You know, quarters coverage is their base coverage. Uh, then you get into uh, longer yardage, and they'll mix in some zone pressure and some split safety look, uh, or some some other looks other than quarters in the back end. But uh, it, I would say it's just their overall uh, athletes, a lot like Arizona State, very athletic at each level. Do they do anything specifically that will make you change what you do? Obviously, maybe USC went three three five a little bit, but uh, UCLA seems to be more. Do defensively for us, uh, I don't think there's going to be wholesale changes defensively. We just got to be, and the things that really hurt us against Oregon State was not schematics. It was physically getting beat at the point of attack, getting blocked, not coming off a block, popping out of a gap, and so it wasn't like we were we were uh, just getting uh, you know mental mistakes everywhere. Needed a different scheme. We just need to play more sound up front in the front seven. And we also gave up some some big plays down the field. You know, we had plays that that uh, you know too many big plays uh, in the throw game against uh, Oregon State. But but it was the run game that did us in. There's Kyle Whittingham, Kalani Sataki up next, getting ready to go against Bronco Mendenhall. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Huh! Huh! It's back-to-back home games for Utah State as Blake Anderson and the Aggies square off against Hawaii in Maverick Stadium. Listen all week long for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at noon. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We have heard from Blake Anderson and Kyle Whittingham in this hour. Now it's time to check in with BYU's head coach, Kalani Sataki, getting ready to go against the former BYU head coach, Bronco Mendenhall. Virginia, 6-2. BYU, 6-2. Big game Saturday night on ESPN2. At the same time, the youths are playing UCLA in a big game over on ESPN. Here... It's Kalani Sataki with the media. Okay. Uh, another week, another game. Uh, looking forward to being at home after being on the road the last couple weeks. And so uh, really excited to play in home Saturday night. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about seeing our fans on the road. 
uh, that's always fun, but it's always good to be back home and in front of all our, our fans and, and in front of our student section. So looking forward to the game, looking forward to the matchup um, with Virginia. Uh, very explosive team, especially on the offensive side. They uh, they lead and they're, they're in the top of a bunch of categories offensively um, and in college football and well coached. Uh, obviously, Bronco Mendenhall is their head coach and does an amazing job with that group. You can see uh, that the time that he spent in it and uh, the wonderful schemes that they come up with and, and uh, the, the style of uh, how they play the game. Very familiar to what we've seen here uh, for way, uh, you know more than a decade in BYU football. So looking forward to the matchup. Obviously, some things that we can need to work on from last week, looking to get better. And so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, urgency from us this week to, to get to work and looking forward to the guys. I, I, uh, come Talk about Washington State game. Love the effort. Kind of like I said, uh, um, post-game, uh, obviously some things that we can fix, but uh, I'm glad the guys keep fighting and they keep believing in each other, and the effort was awesome. So we just put together a game plan and see what we can get get, get done this weekend and how much we can improve this week. Thanks, Coach. We have questions now from Jared Lloyd and then Jay Drew. Lonnie, we were, Bronco did his press conference a couple hours ago, and he talked about similar journeys, the fact that you both were defensive coordinators, got your first opportunities to be head coaches at BYU. And I don't know what kind of relationship you have with them, but what's that like? Just a different dynamic in that sense. You, you touched on it, but this week having the, the previous head coach come in with his new team. Yeah, I mean – there's a lot of BYU guys on that staff. And so uh, there's a great connection between our staff and their staff and, and, and um, guys that played football here and guys that put in a lot of effort and energy and sacrifice a lot of their time here at BYU. So we're always going to be supportive of them. And, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to watch a lot of the Virginia games because we, we want to support those guys and we're friends with a lot of them. And, and uh, for, you know, I have tons of respect for Bronco Mendenhall and uh, what he's done here at BYU. But um, the, the type of man that he is, the leader that he is, uh, he, he he produces great people in his football programs. And uh, it's been a pleasure for me to to, to be here and to take over, um, you know, as a, as a as a new head coach in a program that he established and laid the foundation and was able to really do some great things. And so I have a, a deep. Uh, deep appreciation and gratitude to him and um, you know we still consider all those guys BYU guys and so um, you know we, we support Virginia and we want to see them win and, and uh, whenever we have uh, games and we do we have success um, it's pretty much a given that we'll get a lot of praise coming from back east and a lot of the guys on that staff and, and people that reach out to myself and others on our on our team uh, with congrats and so just a classy organization and it's because their head coach and what he does as a leader uh, and so you tell his players love him he does a great job and and um, you know I, I like his style of, of coaching and leadership I think he he uh, gets the most out of his young men and they love him and so uh, that's always going to be good with me and, and I have a, a I mean you know if you look at the, the the last, um, you know, 16 years or so, there's there's been two guys in that seat, and he's one of them. So I think if there's anybody that would understand a little bit what I'm going through, he would be the guy. So I'm looking forward to 
connected with him pregame and, and uh, you know, I'm going to give him a warm welcome that he deserves because of the time that he spent here and the things that he's done for this organization. Being a BYU fan myself, have tons of appreciation for that for, for him on that. Well, once the, the, the game starts, we'll go back to the game being, being about the players. And once it's finished, regardless of the outcome, that, that level of respect and, and, and appreciation and love will still be there for him and his staff. Do we make too much of it, Kalani? Because I know at the end of the day, it's a football game, and we always bring it up with Kyle at Utah and now Bronco coming back this week. Do you, outside, is it maybe bigger deal than, than maybe it is inside? Because you guys, you guys got to play football. Yeah, I think we try to stay f- as focused as possible and, and on what our job is, you know. And But I, I think it's uh, – I've been through it. I've, I've been where, where you come back to, to a place and – and uh, you know you, that you you spent time at, and so for me being a former player to come back here and coach, it was different. But it was pretty cool to see see the familiar faces and things like that. And um, it, it's 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 a it's a really cool experience. And I, um, for me, I think everybody can handle it however they they want. But uh, I would hope fans would just be thinking about uh, the energy, the time, the sacrifice, the hard work that Bronco and his staff uh, did here. And how it deserves um, it deserves great gratitude and appreciation and love. And then when we go to the game, we go play the game, and the players on in, in the same colors deserve all their cheers. And um, you know, but afterwards, uh, I hope that we can. You know, I've always said that the, the, it's not good to, to want bad things uh, for good people. This this would fit in that in that uh, that sense where. Uh, It'd be good for us to support Bronco um, as a, you know, we're looking at a church member. He's a leader and he's he's producing some great things, not just football, but a lot of great things out there in, in the East Coast. And uh, they'd be OK for us to, to want them to do well in every game. But this one. Bonnie, uh, when you were at Utah, how often did you face a Robert and I offense as the D coordinator and. What do you just? What are some of the things that uh, stand out about it? I, don't, I can't remember all the all the years. I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. So, um, I, I mean, there's a style that Robert has, very effective. And, and Robert is is a guy that um, requires a, their old line to be physical, but utilizes everybody on the field, including the quarterback. And uh, look at what what um, Coach and I has done with that offense. I mean, they're at the top, you know, they, they score a lot of points. They get a lot of yards. Uh, they're very difficult to defend. They use so many different guys in so many different ways. I mean, they have receivers and, and guys that look like receivers that are playing tight end positions. They have really big, uh, big old line. Um, they can have a quarterback that's really, uh, he's really efficient in his throwing and then he can run the ball. So um, they utilize him in that way. But then you have a, just a bunch of different weapons that he uses. And um, he's evolved where he, now uses so many guys, so many different ways. He's always done that, but um, yeah, they're just spreading the ball all over the place, man. And and it's not uncommon to see a receiver or a tight end or um, you know different type of 
personnel in the backfield running the ball and even running out as an option pitcher. And most times you see receivers go out, you know, in the backfield and they run something to the outside like fly sweep or stretch play. And and he's running power and he's running counter downhill stuff with, with that personnel makes it difficult to defend. Um, but well organized, uh, efficient, and they score a bunch of points, get a bunch of yards. So it'll be it'll be. A, a uh, tough matchup, but we're looking forward to it. I, I think he'll get the most out of us. We'll take questions now from uh, Mitch and Sean. Lonnie, you mentioned uh, uh, earlier that if there's a person that knows what you're going through, it would be Bronco. So I ask, uh, you know, when you first started in 2016 or in the years since, did Bronco – ever reach out to you or did you reach out to Bronco for advice or, or pointers on how to navigate this BYU head coach position? The difficulty with, with head coaches um, uh, connecting quite often is that uh, you don't want to intrude on their time, you know? So uh, for, for me, it's, I didn't want to like invade his, his space going there and, and getting a, a new program set. And then I'm trying to do the same thing here with, with a bunch of new faces. So uh, we, we started to connect a little bit more when in, in like settings like uh, conventions and things like that. We'd always uh, talk for a little bit and, and spend some time together. And then um, like Lavelle's um, funeral service, things like that, that we can, we can kind of connect and talk. But I don't think uh, it was um, I think we were so busy doing that. Um, trying to get our program set and our identity as, as coaches set and our culture set. I mean, our uh, uh, um, our scheme set at, at the programs with our with our new staff. So not a lot of that. But the there's a bunch of coaches that are friends of mine there, too. I, I mean, the guys that are position coaches and support staff members that that are you know friends with me and other coaches on our on our staff here. So those relationships just don't all of a sudden stop. And I wanted to ask you uh, maybe just the, the latest status on MP Romney, Fauteuil, and Haas. Any of those guys' possibilities for this week? The hard part about doing this at noon, that that, that hour is that we don't know enough, right? So um, maybe we'll ask the people that you guys do interviews with after practice. So maybe A Rod or Fessy or someone will get on and give you some information on those guys and, and Elisa. But uh, right now, I don't have a lot to give you. So they're really being evaluated uh, as we speak. And so, you know, whether the news gets, I mean, I, I imagine by the time after practice, everyone will know what's going on. If it's season ending or if it's going to be some time, but right now I don't have any info for you. Go ahead, Sean. Coach, you, uh, you touched on Virginia's quarterback, Brennan Armstrong a little bit. And, and just what do you see out of him that, kind of stands out to you about him and and maybe more importantly it seems like bronco and perhaps more accurately jason beck their quarterbacks coach another byu guy that you talked about is kind of providing this nice track record over there of really good quarterbacks so is 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 his armstrong kid just kind of another one in their line that they're making or, or what stands out the most about him well i think there's there's a lot of um if you talk about foundation and how they, the core of how they teach, um, he fits exactly what they've been doing. And that, that goes before even Virginia, if that goes out to here, that quarterbacks are, are well coached and uh, they have a high football IQ. And um, you could, you could just see when you're watching him that he's got this great presence about him. 
Um, and he's got this moxie. He's got this confidence that you want in a quarterback. And he's a great leader. And so you see that, and then you combine that with his skill set, which is he's tough, he can run, and then he throws efficiently and makes great decisions. So uh, when you have all that combined with all the skill that they have on their team, you're going you're gonna to score a lot of points and, and make a lot of defenses look silly. So we've got to be ready to work, and we've got to – you know, make sure that we don't make a lot of mistakes because they can they can put you in a in a bind with matchups and a lot of different things, and then they they also can go some tempo, so they they really stress the defense, and uh, you know they, they get a lot of young guys and, and even experienced guys watch the film and in bad positions, and and uh, the quarterback finds he finds the one mistake that you make on defense, and he exposes you real quickly. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, Kalani, you do this often where you guys go west to east two time zones to face off against teams on the east coast. Is it easier to go east to west or west to east, or does it really matter? I don't know. I, I don't know. That, I've never heard that question before, but it, it, it's hard to go uh, two time zones away, right? And so um, I don't know if the difference – if you look at like when Hawaii leaves the islands and comes out here compared to when we go there, I don't know. I just think everybody would like to play at home, you know, and, and, uh, or take a bus ride somewhere rather than get on the plane. But the, I think when it all, when it's all said and done, everybody's used to traveling. They, they get, they get it and you get there. And as long as there's air that you can breathe and, and, uh, you know, you can, there's a field to play a football game and the guys are going to be fine. I don't, I don't think it really adds much to the uh, to preparation and to the, you know, as far as advantage one way or the other. I also want to just ask you for a thought on the Virginia defense. Nick Howell and Kelly Papinga running that defense. What do you see from them? Yeah, really good defense. And, and, and um, they don't if you look at them, they got some really good size. I know they've been they've dealt with some injuries. That's always tough to go with. But scheme wise, and you're looking at um, the effort and the assignment, sound football, the great fundamentals, great technique, and so. Um, and then you know those are good, some really good coaches. So they, they have. I like what they do scheme wise. I think they utilize their talent really well. Um, so it's going to be tough. I mean, this is a tough team. And then and you look at. Uh, what they've done all year long that they're they're well coached in every phase and uh, they get great effort and the guys believe in each other so that's you have all that combined with great coaching and and, you know it's it's gonna be a good matchup glad we have them at home you've been coaching BYU as an independent you guys will be jumping into the big 12 but they're stepping away from ACC play now to come out and play you guys in a non-conference matchup do you think that affects a team in any way to have to step away from conference play to play a non-conference game or does it really matter in in any sense I don't know if it matters I mean I think you watch them and when they play uh, week to week they have the same mindset same approach um so I, I don't think I don't, I don't think that really plays into it. You know, the, they dominate a lot of people. You know, and, and they do some great things in all three phases. So I, I don't I don't see them looking at this as a as a, a step down in competition as it being a a, a, a G five team or type or something like that. I, I see them looking at it as another opportunity for them to play. Uh, Bronco does a great job of getting his players ready, so they'll they'll be ready for the game. And I need to make sure that I get our guys ready. Hey, question from John Walker. 
Yeah, coach, if I could move away from Virginia and Bronco and homecoming and all that, even a little bit away from this week's preparation. Uh, but you touched on this a little bit in post game, but just wanted to get maybe a little bit more. Uh, you guys obviously get that six win, clinch bowl eligibility again for another season. Um, and that's obviously a big deal for the practices and whatnot. But can you just kind of give us a little more on on why – I guess being bowl eligible and getting that extra postseason is, is so important for this program, I guess. Yeah. Cause we talk about development and getting our players uh, more experienced. And then sometimes um, number one, the bowl game gives you an extra game for that. But I think I, th- I talked about last time was just the, the, those extra practices mean a lot. And so um it, it, to me, it's a great springboard to going into the off season for spring ball, and and because your your season's only in the fall, you have to utilize the time correctly. And, and if you don't have a bowl game, you don't get those extra practices, and you don't get to see your guys develop. Um, believe it or not, guys can develop from August to December, and so when you get them in December, that's like another fall camp but you'd get it later in the year when they've actually had months of being in the weight room and getting used to what, you know, the college life, getting used to the the schedule. Um, And then, and then you get them kind of fresh and you get them practicing. It gives you some time to, you know, do some live stuff, do some scrimmaging, for, especially with the young guys, and take advantage of all that time in, 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 in regards to their development. There's BYU football coach Kalani Sitake. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. What makes his skill set so unique is his size. He basically plays like a point guard. He can score like kind of like a wing, getting to the rim and driving. He's got post moves and counters, and you know he can shoot. When he turns and shoots his his turnaround, it's virtually unblockable. I don't want Rudy to be cautious. I want him to be disciplined. That's Quinn Snyder talking about the NBA's reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic. Oh, I get it, reigning. <laughs> Jokic. It's raining outside. And the Nuggets coming to play the Jazz tonight. Oh, easy W. Nice. Look at you. Very confident. The Nuggets played last night and got beat. They did. They got beat by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mark Price ain't walking through that door. (laughs) They don't even have Craig Elo anymore. Brad Doherty, he's doing auto racing. And yet the Cavs still managed to win. Larry Nance, he's siring NBA players. Larry Nance Jr. Kevin Love came off the bench and gave him 22 he's points. coming off the bench this year. But why are we talking about Cleveland? We're talking about the Nuggets. What are you talking about Cleveland for? It didn't make any they sense. beat the Nuggets. How Irregardless. did the Nuggets get beat? Well, they're not good enough. I like the ad. They beat the Suns last week, and we come in the next morning, and along the ESPN thing on the bottom, statement win. What is this, a statement loss? Yes. <laughs> I want the graphic. <laughs> We should start using stuff like that. Statement of losses. <laughs> Reverse all the time-honored cliches. Yes. You only do what does it say when you win. Not on our show. We'll do it anyway. Win, lose, or your soccer draw. And we'll do statement losses. What does it say about the Denver Nuggets that they lost to Cleveland? 
And it wasn't in Cleveland. No, it was in Denver. No, it was in Denver, which doesn't roll because roll, it's not a song lyric, but you know. John Denver thought it was such a cool place. He changed his name as like Dang or something like that. And he oh, changed it. Yeah. Go look it up. Okay. John Denver? You think he was born John Denver by Bob and Mary Denver? No. <laughs> Bob and Mary Denver. <laughs> <laughs> totally random. <laughs> well, what does it say about the Nuggets? They had a couple guys who can shoot the ball well, who did not shoot the ball well, and under the law of numbers, perhaps they will now have good shooting games. Michael Porter Jr. was 4 of 14. 3 of 9 from 3 is kind of average, but makes him 1 of 5 on the old two-pointers. And Aaron Gordon was 5 of 14. Aaron Gordon's not a great shooter, but... I don't think Porter is either. I think Porter's a streaky shooter. And Aaron Gordon is not a well-rounded NBA player. No, he's not. He's 6'9". He can jump out of the gym. Athletic is all get out. Yeah, give him that. He can run, too. <laughs> all, the, all the qualities of an athlete... Aaron Gordon has, but I don't think he's a proficient high-level basketball player across the board. He's not highly skilled, but he's a heck of an athlete, no question. I can see why he's in the NBA, but I don't expect him to shoot well unless he takes a lot of close-range shots. Don't let him get going in transition, because he'll crush it. Transition? Nobody does transition anymore. Jazz and the Nuggets tonight. Jazz game night. The pregame show starts at 7. The game starts at 8. Tip-off at 8 o'clock on TNT. Rudy Gay, the only jazz man on the injury report the Jazz posted on social media yesterday. Oh, I know. I used to get those, but somebody took me off. I must have offended somebody. Imagine that. (laughs) I know. I got on it, and it was fun while it lasted, and then somebody took me off of it. I was never on it. Yeah, but why would you be on it? I don't know. Why would you be on it? Because I was one of the core, man, working yeah. for the organization. That's why. We were we were buds. <laughs> you you got your feet in different places. I don't. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Tatum's working on the nine-point second quarter. As in the corner, has Plumlee on skate. Step back three, swish. Left side, Millsap. Pump fake on a three. Drive it in on Harrell. Slowly inside the foul line. Now retreats. Backs it out to Durant. He comes left to the foul line with a pull-up. It's good. Rosen turns the corner. Turnaround jumper. Baseline left. Got it. Over OG Adenomi. DeMar DeRozan with two straight mid-range jumpers. Lowry to Jimmy. Looked like he was going to drive on Wagner. Pulls it back. Leaves it for Duncan who gets it back to Jimmy for the little jumper that goes. Right to left. Bless him. No look pass to the right wing. It's a three for Kennard. And he still is hot. Luke Kennard strikes again from the outside. His fifth triple of the night. Luke Kennard ended up 6 of 7 from the three-point line. He had 23 points off the bench for the Clippers who blew out Portland. 116 to 86. They jumped on him early, PK. Then they jumped on him again in the third quarter. Won the first quarter by 14 points and the third quarter by 16 and just tied it up in the second and fourth quarters. I don't see Portland as very good. I have an enormous amount of respect for the Lockster. But you're not buying it. No. I mean, he what cracks change? on Jason Kidd, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But Portland's got a rookie coach. Yep. He's never coached a game before in his life as a head coach in the NBA. 
And I, just, I don't, I don't like the roster. It's like it's just, it's the same and roster for the last fifteen and years. To me, that's the bigger point right there. Where we knew they had problems on their roster. Where were the changes? They were going to alter the problems they had on the roster. Well, where, yeah, they still need to ride two guys on big shooting nights to most of their wins. It's way hard to do. Right. And if they trade Lillard, they're never going to win that trade. They'll get a bunch of average players. Yep. Portland off to a 1-2 and two start now after that uh, blowout loss to the Clippers. Other games of note, the Nets, after a bad start, pick up another win. They beat the Wizards 104-90. Kevin Durant scored 25 points to lead them in that game. And the Celtics got 41 from Jason Tatum, and they beat the Hornets 140-129. to Needed OT to do that, but Tatum ends up with 41. Well, I think the story of the NBA right now is the Bulls at 4-0. Look at Chicago go. and the Jazz see them Saturday, the Bulls beat the Raptors 111-108. Uh, and they're the first team since 96-97, as far as Chicago goes, to start 4-0. and And we know what happened in 96-97. Met the Jazz in the NBA Finals. Won it all. Did the Bavetta job was that year or was it the following year? I can't remember. Uh, Bavetta was the following year. 98, oh, yeah. Okay, 98. Shucks. <laughs> 97 was when the Jazz won two at home and had the big lead in the third game, and it was the flu game for Jordan, and he brought him back. Bucks beat the Pacers 119-109. The defending world champs get 30 points from Giannis Antetokounmpo and 10 boards and nine rebounds. Jazz are going back-to-back with Chicago and Milwaukee on Saturday and Sunday this weekend, so got that to look forward to. Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green says he plans to celebrate Steph Curry being named to the NBA's 75th anniversary team with an expensive bottle of wine in Oklahoma City where he celebrated Curry breaking Will Chamberlain's franchise record for points last year. And order some, order some $5,000 bottle Well, they're wine. rich, so they live a different yeah. lifestyle. But is this, the 75 fifth deal, did that generate any type of... Not nearly the juice the 50 at 50 did. The 75 the NBA wanted it to, and we're supposed to be cheerleaders for the NBA, but did that really resonate whatsoever? No, because they announced it during football season. Who cares? They could have yeah. announced it whenever. You think if they'd done an All-Star weekend, it would have been different, because that's what they did with the 50 at 50. There was and baseball playoffs going on. thirty during the summer. There was baseball. That's, that's the 60 at 60. Oh, there were baseball playoffs going on, and there was college football, and there was pro football, and, you know, it was there for five minutes, and it's on to the next thing. Okay, so well, and if, make the splash. But if you need nothing to go on when you do something, is it really that big of a deal? Mm-hmm. You know, the Not old that tree falling forest deal? Yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Gino under center, on play fake. This time he's going to let it fly downfield. Reaching up, making a catch. It's been tough. He could go 40, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Seahawks. 84 yards. Snap, he loses the handle, Winston, but now completes it to Kamara at the 10, 5. Touchdown, Alvin Kamara. Touchdown, Saints. Snap, kick. You hear the silence, and that's a good thing to hear. It is good. Brian Johnson nails it from 33 yards out. I mean, it's cool. It's, a, it's definitely a, a nice environment. Um, I mean, every time we come up here, the weather 
other than that, it's cool. That's Alvin Kamara after the Saints beat the Seahawks 13-10 in the rain in Seattle. You heard the two touchdowns there. There's not a lot of offense in that game. 84 yards on that one touchdown for Seattle. They only had 219 in the game. Other than that, it was all Saints defense dominating this, and Saints kicked the late field goal and won it 13-10. Well, there are no good backup quarterbacks in the league. You're not getting very far with your backup quarterback, and Geno Smith isn't taking Seattle very far, so... If you get a backup quarterback who can play, you can play 500 with a backup QB. That's a win. Most well, quarterbacks, yeah, but can't then do that. he's a starter, and he will in free agency. He will absolutely get a contract. Uh, New we Orleans when they Winston. went with uh, yeah, Jameis Winston. New Orleans Teddy Bridgewater had that five and zero run, got the money in Carolina, and then has the job in Denver. You don't have to necessarily be a good starting quarterback, but you're a starting quarterback. Right. We can go more recent than that, Winston, and he's a starter now. New Orleans, 4-2, and two, and they got the Bucks coming up, so that's a big game for them in the uh, South Division. Probably a big game they'll lose, but we'll see that next weekend. That's their chance to make it a race in the division with a win there. Seattle now 2-5, and five, and they're going to need to get Russell Wilson back and go on an incredible run just to be in the wild card hunt. And the division race, well, they're five games behind the undefeated Cardinals, so that's a long way to go. Cardinals getting ready to face the Green Bay Packers Thursday night. 7-0 Cardinals, 6-1 Packers. Devontae Adams is on the reserved COVID-19 list, putting his availability in doubt for that big game. He could make it. He's got to register negative tests 24 hours apart to be cleared. So we'll see how that plays out. So that would be, can you take one the day of the game? I think you can. So could it be Wednesday and Thursday? I think you can, yes. Joe Flacco traded. Eagles send him to the Jets with Zach Wilson out for at least two, maybe four weeks with the injured PCL. It's a strain, not a tear. So Zach's got that going for him. But I know they got I've, another quarterback. I, I get Lisa on Instagram, see what she's doing. She, she's doing daily updates. Yeah, at this point. I love. I've never met that lady, but I absolutely love her. I would like to meet her one day. Get some cool baking tips if you follow her. Oh as well. yeah, she's and uh, go get her on the exercise. Come on, ladies, wake up, put your bra on. I mean, she says that you should get into Instagram, Dave. You find out so much stuff. Not sure I want to know that stuff, but I you, could find it out. She's an inspiration to a lot of ladies and gets them going. They tell they tell her that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan who returned Tom Brady's six hundredth career touchdown pass the ball that was used in that uh they've sweetened the pot for him two signed brady jerseys a helmet a mike evans signed jersey evans game worn cleats pair of season tickets for the rest of this year season tickets for all of next year thousand dollars at the team store and brady's giving the fan bitcoin worth about 60 grand estimates from the experts say the game ball could have fetched around a half million dollars at auction he's not getting that but they're giving him a lot of stuff Uh, yeah the money and the tickets the jerseys and stuff. I mean, like six years later, do you even be able to find them? <laughs> Got to frame them and put them on the wall, or the answer to your question is no. And then you look at, okay, that's Mike Evans. I mean, he's a nice player and all, yeah. but okay, I got a signed jersey by Mike Evans. But I guess if it means something to you. Yeah. Oh, well, if you're a big Bucks fan well, actually, and you hang the, him in the man cave well, and you, you don't have even have to watch be, the game. You know, I'm, I, I get, yeah, if, if that would mean more if you were. 
I was thinking that I would buy a Joe Ingles jersey and get him to sign it before he goes home. Just oh. as a memory. Yeah. Guy who came on our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. it was... It'll be a legacy for years to come. He's in his eighth year. An unusual. Very well, it's rare. One of a kind. Yeah. On a local show, and he's missed like two or three times in that entire time period. It's phenomenal. His commitment... He's, and he told me, he said, I said, I, I told him one time, I said, this is unbelievable. He said, why? I said, because, you know, I've told him some instances before where guys have reached out to me to be, can I be on your show? Yes. Yes. And then, you know, they a month don't later. <laughs> they don't answer. And he yeah. said, well, I told you I would do it. Like, he just said, like, well, what's the big deal? I said I would do it. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I actually thought about doing that when his time is, uh, which I hope is not now. And it certainly is not now, but I meant uh, the end of the season. I hope they resign him for selfish reasons. And I think the fan base wants him to be resigned. He's one of those guys who connects. But it'll be a cold, calculated decision. I got it. It's business. that's the only way to run that. the team. I got right? it. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Favors is super popular, but they needed a trade, and so they put him in it. And they brought him back because they liked him, but it didn't work well enough. They thought something else might work better, so let him go a second time. So it's cold-hearted. I get it, yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. I've been as, as, as involved as they'll let me be. I think there's a lot of front runners right now. You've got a wild card like uh, Mike Tomlin. That, that If Mike Tomlin wants out, you know, at the end of the day, there is not a direct, that's the guy everybody's pointing their fingers at. Carson Palmer, former USC quarterback on his involvement in the USC coaching search. Heisman winner, right? Yes. Close to Norm Chow. 2003. Very close to Norm Chow. Yeah. Jeff Fisher's name was thrown out there, and then the denial of Jeff Fisher's name was thrown out there, all since our show ended yesterday. I think Fisher has wanted in for years. You don't want Fisher. But it doesn't matter. hes I've yeah, always he, viewed him as a candidate. He's a USC alum. Right. He, he played for, for years. Played for John Robinson. Yeah. Loves SC. But he was always a pro coach. It's kind of a... It's a USC version you, of... You can still be a candidate, though. Yeah. It's a USC version of Andy Reid at BYU. Always linked to the school. Always some level of interest, but always the fact that this guy's a pro coach. Yeah, and he actually, obviously he did go, got fired. But, yeah. uh, and, but Tomlin, that was a wild card, man. Tomlin coming to the college ranks. Leaving the Steelers, who've had three coaches in 50-plus years. Well, they do face a little bit of a rebuild, it looks they like. They do. But who's to say it can't be done quickly? The NFL, manage your money, get a quarterback, away you go. You draft well and hit on a quarterback, you're in good you're in good shape. Texas Tech fired former Utah State coach Matt Wells after two plus seasons in Lubbock. 13 and 17 overall. He had a team at five and three this year, had four ranked teams to close the season. So could have been on his way to five and seven and thirteen and twenty-one, but he also could have pulled a big upset or two and been building and trending in the right direction his third year. But he said uh, the AD, Kirby Hokett, said Wells was surprised and didn't agree with the decision, but they let him go. I don't blame him. I mean, he really didn't even get an opportunity to go through one full recruiting cycle. No. He's in his third year, and one of them was a COVID year. Yeah. 
And this season wasn't lost. I mean, on paper, you can say they were going to be 5-7, and seven, but that's on paper. If he pulls an upset or two, it's a very different story. Well, you're judging rankings as... Right. By, but that doesn't... Vegas, team, Vegas doesn't joke, go by rankings, so no. I don't know that they would have been upsets. Maybe not. Well, we won't know now because they showed him the door and he's out. Auburn University last week mandating a December 8th deadline for all university employees to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Head football coach Brian Harson declined to disclose whether or not he had received the vaccine or planned to receive it, sticking to his long-running message going back to the summer that he would not discuss it. He tested positive for the virus in August. So are we going to have a repeat of the Washington State situation at Auburn and have a coach show in the door? I mean, he's in his first year there after leaving Boise State. DJ and PK Hashtag Major League Baseball World Series starts tonight Atlanta and Houston Astros hosting the first couple of games 6 o'clock on Fox tonight I assume it's the Astros Am I wrong? Boy, I I don't know what the odds are on this I I would go with the Braves but I don't really have a good feel to where one team is overwhelming over the other. Braves are hot. They're really hot. They were a 500 club in early August and have won two-thirds of their games since then. So it's easy to dismiss them as an 88-win team, but is that really who they are? Because they haven't played at that clip for a couple months now. For a couple months, they've won two-thirds of their games, which you win two-thirds of your games, you're a 100-plus win team. You're up in Giants and Dodgers territory. Right, that's 75%. No, it's not. Oh, 80. You're right. 67. Oh. Ken Griffey Jr. purchases an ownership stake in the Seattle Mariners. The club he rose to start him with. Bought out another minority owner. Bought out at least a portion of another minority owner's share. So, Ken Griffey Jr. will now be linked to the team that he started his career with and made his mark with before he went off to Cincinnati. Cool. Man, he was a star. I mean, no matter where he played, he was a star. But obviously, that was his original team. Reason why I'm a Seattle Mariners fan, right? There. And you know, they they had a nice season. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Frank Dolce, our Utah football insider, joins us at 805. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, will be here at 905. The question of the day is coming up next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a game Cougar fans have circled for a long time as Bronco Mendenhall makes his return to Provo as the Cougars welcome in the Virginia Cavaliers. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Your Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair? It's 2021 and you don't have to. 
U of P Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahhairmd.com. Question of the day. We got a couple of them. But we're going to start with your column this week, PK. BYU fans, oh, Mendenhall, a warm welcome. Do you agree? And you've done it again. You've split the audience. Congratulations. If you disagree, you're so poo-poo. Thank you, Tyler. Scott says absolutely. He was basically run out of town by delusional Cougar fans. Bronco was 99-43. and 39 and 9 in conference with five 10 plus win seasons. And he had four more years of eight or nine wins in 11 years. Kalani's a good coach, but let's revisit this conversation in five years to compare. He's currently 44 and 28 after six years. Kalani is certainly a much better cheerleader on the sideline. It has nothing to do with Kalani Shiitake. This is yeah. Bronco came in, gave you a lot of years in the prime of his coaching career, and are you going to show some appreciation? for all that time and effort and hard work. It's an absolute must. The way I picture this, and I haven't spoken with anybody down air. Where? Down air. That he'll lead the team on to the field, and then there'll be a few minutes, you know, they'll bring the captains out and all that stuff. And so there'll be a, there'll be some dead time there before mm-hmm. the actual start of the game. We've all been there. And they put Broncos pitcher wherever he is on the sideline. You get a camera right there. You put him up put on the Put the video up on the big board. Yeah. And you, you, if you want to do more than that, that's fine, too. But minimum, the way I view it, is you put Bronco, so it's him, he's isolated on, and they've got the big screens now, everybody's got them. You put him on there, uh, thank you, Bronco Mendenhall, whatever, and you have his face there, and then everybody in the stadium sees it. And they applaud. And they give him, at minimum... A warm round of applause. You can give him a rousing. You can give him a standing O. Anywhere in between. But minimum has got to be a warm round of applause. He is one of your own. He's not one of your own in the way Kalani is one of your own. He didn't play there. But they didn't offer him a scholarship twice. He would have gone there, I think. Maybe not. No, he has said he dreamed of playing it. Right, BYU. obviously, he grew up in the, up the road in Alpine, right? His, his what, dad did you go to American Fork. Yeah, his dad and brother yeah. both played. Right, and so he's a kid there, and he's experiencing, and they do the age, and it works out to where they've got their glory years. So, what Latter Day Saint kid, especially in Utah County, wouldn't dream of playing football at BYU if you're a football player? Of course, but they didn't want him, so he went to Snow. They didn't want him again, so he went to Oregon State. So. He's not one of your own in the way Kalani was because he wasn't afforded that opportunity. And yeah, he's not the warm, fuzzy, hug you kind of guy. But if you knew Bronco at any level, and I'm not saying we're best buds, but I felt like I knew him a little bit on a, on a personal level because I took a badge of honor when he would ride me about stuff. That meant he liked you, and he would come down that hall, or when we were downstairs and used to be on the field, he'd come over and he'd, he'd ride me about something. I remember the first time Kevin O'Connor gave me crap. I felt so great. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, oh, man, I yeah, well, you got him because you got that tri-state area attitude yeah, going. Yeah. He wasn't going to come up and hug you like Kalani. Right, right, He's exactly. He's from the tri-state area. Right, right. 
But I remember the I remember specifically it was in this building and Kevin O'Connor gave me crap and I felt so good like oh man he's recognized me he's legitimized me and it's the same thing with Bronco I loved covering Bronco when I worked it's, for the Watchdog it's so funny that you think like that like, like the people don't know who you are with all the writing you've done and all the greatest stuff you've done Spence Eccles doesn't mean of course he knows who you are. <laughs> Of course, Kevin O'Connor knows who you are. Of course, Bronco knows who you are. And it's not that you get everything right. That's not what I'm saying for the people who are groaning right now. They know you can't get everything right, going back to that Morgan Scally thing. But you get a lot of stuff right. And even the stuff you don't hit right on the nose, you're still ballpark on. And because you're not in the building at 530, as Morgan says, there's some stuff you're not going to know. For sure. But... They get like you're not shooting wild stuff out there, nowhere near the target. You're either near it or you're on it. I love covering Bronco. He was direct. He was honest, at least to me, concise. So, and I get that. And that's why I would think that you, if you were a fan, which is a weird analogy to make, but you would be giving him the rousing round. The, the thing with Bronco, and we actually have some people who, who say things along these lines here in social. Uh, it's social media, uh, that people didn't bond with him emotionally. Robert, I got he, was, it. he was an odd dude, but he did great things at BYU. He should be welcome with open arms. I'll give you the open arms, and I'm with you on, they should put, his, put the video up there, people should see it, and there should be applause, and it should be noticeable, and you should hear it. Yes. Now, the, the standing ovation, I think, goes for the person who you had the big bond with, and you feel like you know, although you don't, because... 65,000 people can't have personal relationships with one person. No, I get it. But you connect at that level emotionally, even if it's in a weird kind of sports, not real life way. And Bronco didn't connect at that level, so I would not expect a standing ovation. But maybe some, from some individuals. Sure, because some I can, individuals I can could have connected you, with I can him. give you an example. Yeah. When we had the, uh, they had a little going away party for Randy Rigby. And then they honored him mm-hmm. at uh, half court before the game or f- in the first quarter, whatever it was. He was jazz president. He's the one who hired us. So I came to the thing and brought my wife. And it was a snowstorm that night and got here a little late and was downstairs. And then they honored him during the game and I stood up. Different for you because you've got a different relationship than the other however many thousand fans were there that night. Right. And he got good, he got good applause. Right. But I don't think he didn't get a standing you. O. Right. It wasn't right. universal. I stood up because Randy Rigby meant something in my life. And when my, my my wife had cancer, he went out of his way. And so he meant something to me. And if I saw him today, I would give him a hug. I, I enjoyed my relationship with Randy Rigby. But that was a different thing. So I think that's what you're saying about Bronco. Right. It is. But I think there should be some recognition among the fan base. Yes, he said no odd question. things. And yes, there was conflict with fans who, quite frankly, Bronco didn't create that. The fans did when they interrupt him when he's speaking uh, and stuff. Not entirely. And you got these awkward moments. He when called someone, them stupid once. That wasn't good. Okay. I'm, I, that, actually, someone, uh, this is hilarious in here. Uh, Josh. Matches the education Josh, level. Because or, your level of criticism yeah, of Bronco yeah. matches your level of education. Which is his way. Josh. He's, he Josh. In a stilted manner. Well, way to go, Josh. That was well played. What he was saying is the fan base was ignorant. Yes. And a lot of fan bases are ignorant. ignorant. Right. But as a coach, it's better to just let that go. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to say that. Lavelle probably thought it when he was bravely doing call-in post-game radio shows. Oh, and no, people he did. I questioning the play it. calling after another win. <laughs> I talked to him. I did a story for the Watchdog on it. 
talk to them about it. Uh, turns yeah. out the fans wanted to win by nine, not by two. And then uh, towards the end of his life, I think we were doing the Holodinata golf tournament down at Thanksgiving Point, uh-huh. and he was there. And we were having fun. Well, they paid me 75 bucks a show. (laughs) (laughs) You remember that? (laughs) Classic. I mean, he could hardly walk at that point, but he still had his mental capacities to a good degree, and he was laughing with us. And we were, I'm almost positive it was holding out his golf tournament, and we were at uh, Thanksgiving Point. And uh, so, yeah. But but he he was one of a kind. You're never going to get that kind of guy again. Agreed. And it was Agreed. a naive think- time where he could solve the honor code issues because they weren't <laughs> captured on camera phones or Rancheritos uh, uh, videos and whatnot. And BYU football, yeah. for a big portion of the time he was there, wasn't as big a deal. It got bigger because he did so well and won so much. And then when something gets bigger, more people want to have a say in it. And Bronco wasn't, wasn't Lavelle. Nobody is Lavelle. They broke the mold. There's not going to be another Lavelle. But he took your program out of the depths of the darkest times in 50, 60 years. Consistently. Uh, Kalani had the one awful season. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. It was awful. They were were pathetic on every level. Uh, But they had three years of this stuff. And it was getting worse. And it was, tr- and and and, the, and I was there, uh, d- Mr. Negative covering a losing program. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it was unbelievable. Every time you show up, the team goes in the tank. Not ne- no, not necessarily. I mean, it covered. But not every time. Youth basketball was awesome. Not, I, it wasn't every year, but didn't every program you have have a down year while you were there? Well, my first year with the Utes, they went fourteen and fourteen, and that's they had. All sorts and that of was that was clearly and the that, low water mark for Majerus by set, a wide margin. And that set the tone yeah. between he and I. But so what? That's I enjoyed covering them. Uh, but Bronco spent a lot of time and a lot of energy, and they won a lot of games. And so he- there ought to be some recognition. The for that. heavy lifting that he did was just super super impressive. And he goes six and six that first year with. A lot of the same kids. And then the next year, they start one and two and then don't lose. It's incredible. In fact, I think he did it uh, again As you do it. the year after. Yeah, it was a, he did two years in a row. So, and, and he went with a senior quarterback with John Beck in 06. And that 06 team was awesome. And John was phenomenal. I've stated that many times. And then he goes off to the NFL. They reload. And he brings in Max Hall. And they, they start one and two. They lost to UC Los Angeles in a Rose Bowl and then a Tulsa in a shootout. And then they don't lose again. They do it again. Come not, on, man. Not everyone's on board, though. Nick says, no, we owe him nothing. He gave us a few good years, but ended up plateauing and being mind-numbing to have as a coach. I would welcome his whole team with booze if I was going, but I had to go out of state, so I'm watching from they afar. They don't drink. What are you bringing booze for? B-O-O-S. Not the Z-E. Oh. Well, you know me. Get down with PKK. You know me. Uh, Tam- okay, here's one from a Ute fan. You ready? Yes. Tammy ready. Porter Wright. This is the one week this Utah fan would gladly put on a BYU shirt and cheer for the Cougars to destroy Virginia. <laughs> I realized after Bronco left, it wasn't BYU that I hated. It was Bronco. So arrogant and egotistical. And then she makes... <laughs> 
Then three throwing up emojis with a green and yellow face, you know, completely nauseous. Tammy, was that Tammy? All of my hostility immediately gone once he jumped ship. Nothing but love for Sataki. He's a class act. So go Cougs. Roll Virginia this week. Okay, a couple of things there that once would you feel the same way if they would have brought in some LDS guy who had zero connection to Utah and was warm and fuzzy for a decade? Excellent point. Because Kalani comes in with the polar opposite, you know, approach. I mean, he's just he is warm and fuzzy, and you don't have a one-on-one relationship with him, but you feel like you do. And he was one of yours. Oh yeah, and, and Kyle, your boss loves him. Yeah, as Kyle has repeatedly commented on his relationship with Kalani. Now I have to say, you know, for those years that I covered BYU, which uh, was from what uh, it was several years, it was. 2000 to 27 or something like that, 2007. Um, I had had to negotiate a fine line there because I'm covering BYU. Right. But I have relationships with guys at Utah. Right. And you knew stuff. (laughs) So I had both sides talking to me, and both sides weren't exactly complimentary of the other side. Not even remotely. There was a lot of tension there. <laughs> so, And the games... I, I would hear there were, stuff. There were a lot of great games. I mean, there were multiple games that came down to the last play. Not everyone did, but multiple games did. But wasn't it more recruiting that drove that? Not exclusively, but, you know, primarily, no. I, 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 not, I don't even know it was primarily... I can tell you, and I have to be careful because I have to be sensitive, that there's people over here who didn't like all the religion talk over there and made it sound like we over here who consider ourselves members of that same faith, but yet we're looked down upon. Yeah. Uh, And... But I thought that was driven mostly by recruiting talk. Uh, or it just existed. It just existed. I think it existed. That there was a situation where, uh, who was it, a couple of players kicked down a door of an apartment. Yeah. And you know, all that double talk. Yeah, when it comes right down to it, come on, man. You're going to allow them to play, you know, those types yeah. of things. And and then go, oh, go, go there? Sure, you go on a mission and go there? Yeah, you get home in uh, March, uh, and by June you ain't going to church anymore and you're drinking. <laughs> and so... <laughs> that led to some tension. <laughs> All that stuff that was behind the scenes that I had never would never put in a newspaper story... And I had to negotiate that uh, and keep on friendly terms with both sides and all. So there was a ton of tension. So I can get where Tammy's coming from, from her perspective. I, 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 in fact, I, can, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can get 100% where she's coming from. A lot of Cougar fans. We won't read through them all here, but Brooks speaks for a lot of them. I'm going to be clapping for Broncos Saturday. He put together some great seasons for BYU. And you got uh, a few absolutely's and a most definitely as well. So I don't know that he'll get the standing O. I wouldn't think he would. 
I understand but I do that. Think, but it, gotta, it I has do to be think, warm or I'm going to be I, pissed. I do think that if they put them up on the board there, there'll be applause. It's got to be warm. And it's got to be what you it's, said. It's got to be noticeable. Not right. a smattering. Right. But that comes to the point also. <laughs> are, are BYU fans going to be there on time? How late will the game start? And oh, yeah, sure they'll the, be on time. Where are they going to be? It starts at midnight. It's an 8 o'clock. It's an 8.15 game. It, it, uh, kickoff gets held till 8.30. New the, Brunswick time. It starts at midnight. If the teams are in the locker room right up until 8.30 and then come out, then the place will be full if they oh, put them up be on the full. board. Where else are they going to be? Yeah. They're going to be Stuck there. Stuck in traffic late arriving. No, you, they're, they're, it's, the, the, the game it, will get held and it, they'll be there. It gets so long yeah. and so late that late arriving gets there. there. Right. All the kids' games, if there's any and all that stuff, should be long gone at that point. And no, I, there's. You, it, it must be noticeable. And when we come back, I'll tell you, he was right. He was freaking right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes Unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, you guaranteed us after the break. What do you got? Well, he said he was right. What he said for years. Independence is not sustainable. And he said yesterday, I listened to his press conference, where he said that... Oh, this is good. He was told to tone it down. (laughs) Tone it down. And he was right. He wasn't told he was wrong. He was told to tone it down. Yeah, it wasn't sustainable. They got out. That they did. Whenever the Big 12 invite was coming, they were going to get out. And now it has arrived. And they're out. They've accepted no problem there. I actually have no problem with them going independent at the time. It it got a little stale and it warned, but the circumstances had changed great, greatly. When they made that decision, I supported it 100%. And then when they went to the Big 12, I supported it 100%. Uh, and Bronco, I thought he jumped ship a little too early on that independent stuff because it became harder to recruit. There's no question, and that's not necessarily his strong point. And he did say some things that, you know, you, you have to recruit us. No. You got to want to be there for sure, but you don't recruit them. You got to be selling your program, and he didn't like to do that. We want guys to sell themselves yeah. to us. Like, yeah, what? The, the Jake Heaps thing did not go over well. <laughs> it just was not a good look. He hated that. Obviously, he hated that. Uh, but he ended up being right. The problem was he wasn't fully, he didn't fully embrace it, which you think was a little bit of a problem. But he was right. Whereas Kalani took the job knowing full well, I got to embrace this. I'm going into it as an independent. You didn't change anything on me. This is something I knew full well and I accepted on your terms. So it was a different circumstance. 
And, Absolutely. Yeah. Bronco was in the Mountain West, established in the Mountain West, recruiting in the winner. Mountain West, winning in the Mountain West, yeah. and suddenly here's Independence, and now and you're your other to, And your rival goes to the Pac-12. <clears throat> and now you've got to recruit harder, and it's not what you're best at, right. and it's not your favorite thing to do. Right. I'd love and he also didn't get the best independent schedules either. He had to go through the slog of this is who is available. Well, yeah, they had the schedule. We'll they had this right. who they could schedule. Right. I mean, they they had to scrounge up games in the beginning. So yeah, it wasn't ideal. And then he got smothered and he looked for a new challenge and he got it. So it worked. But he was right. I love listening to him yesterday because it was a throwback. He used a lot of the same terms, a lot of, you know, Yo, players play uh, as they're love prepared. Him. Love him or hate him, he's and, consistent. And he said that. Well, he had the awkward joke at the end of his opening statement. I think I've said everything I need to say, so no more questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he's in it, and he's not, he doesn't joke easily. It's always a little stiff. It comes off awkward. But, I mean, that's just, I could overlook that because I, I knew the man a little bit, and I certainly knew him as a coach. And I respected the crap out of him, man. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't offer him more respect. And I told him that at the Vegas Bowl when he was done. I, I had an opportunity. It was very brief, but I just cornered him. I said, man, I enjoyed covering you. You're a great football coach. I wish you nothing but the best of success in Virginia and all that stuff. And we had a little chat there, just a couple of moments. But I love listening to him. I, I, it, it, it was so funny to me because... We've got together, and I took 14 people, because uh, uh, I think he's seven coaches and this, the wives, and, and you know, all but one of us, we, we worshiped together. They're called wards. It was educating me. I learned a lot about you guys' faith. Gospel doctrine classes yeah, were mentioned, yeah. primary. Sunday school, Sunday and, school and the things. And it's called the mission field. <laughs> okay, DJ. Branches came up. In yeah, and it's, like, it's like it's a tree, and it's the stake of the tree, and then the olive is the branch, and so he did this, and I, I was taking notes. I feel I know more about your faith today than I did this time yesterday. So I'm. If you guys want to talk some religion now, I'm more up to date, and I can speak more of yours of you guys' language. Sweet. You know what I mean. <laughs> and and I, 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 before we go to Yuck. break, I gotta ask this. No, you don't. Yeah, I have to. I don't even know what it I is. I have to. But I'm just going to say the answer is no, you don't. So how do you people react when you open that letter and the destination sucks? <laughs> Let's call it like it is. There are legit disappointments. Are you supposed to fake it? There, and go, ah! Yes. I've been to three of them. People across the street. Three boys. All three of them, foreign locations. Barcelona. Woohoo! So we all went, you know, London, and one was especially uh, uh, pertinent because it was where his grandparents literally grew up. Oh, wow. And the mom was in tears. So that's two positives now. Give us the third one that would like, I don't believe you. You're faking it. Right. Well, is that what happened? I'm assuming that's what happened. It was there, there, three there boys three. and a couple of them. Okay, so if you're going to the grandparent grandparents, oh, it was incredible. Moment. It was an incredible right. moment. Yeah, and, and there's another glamour city. But then was there from Bronco Mendes? No, no, the, the three were all foreign. Yeah, but but they but they were all good. Uh, but Argentina in the slums. I don't know if it's good. Okay, but it was but it was like it wasn't Pocatello. I was gonna say <laughs> that's the thing. Bronco Mendenhall's son is leaving in January, and he is going to Pocatello. Pocatello. What are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> I throw it in the trash. Now, how are you supposed to act? 
Suppose I get invited to another one, and it is it is St. George. That's a win. Not if you're from here. Yeah, but they don't usually send people to their own backyard. Broncos kids are presumably leaving Virginia and coming to the other side of the country. It's sort of. He he was born here. He knows po- nothing against Pocatello. I love Too Mike Empey is from Pocatello. Too and late. I love Mike Empey. And, and Mike's furious with you for talking Pocatello down. I'm not down t- talking Pocatello down. Uh, it's yeah. just not a glamorous location. Well, the God. people from Pocatello will tell you yeah, it's not I, a glamorous lo- location. Bronco also said Mark Yatuaya's son is serving in North Salt Lake. Yeah. yeah. Don't you want, like, as you said, Madrid? Yeah, right. uh, Rome? Paris. Paris? (laughs) Pocatello. What are you supposed to do? Twin Falls. Do you all fake it? How does it work? (laughs) You have to fake it. Tell me. Get on our app. Tell me when you got the call and you weren't overwhelmed by it, like a... I don't know, Boston or something. That would be cool if I lived on this side of the country. Even if I lived on that side of the country, Boston. You Farmington, know, a big New city Mexico. Where there's all sorts of... Uh, well, New York City. You not, know, the, every language... You can, you can speak any language in New York City. Not... Yeah. Not to link them to any names, but I think we both know athletes who went to Fresno and to Houston. Now, that's just not Paris and Barcelona. I don't care how you sell it. But do you go nuts on that? What are you supposed to do? <laughs> Fresno! You people need to tell me because I might find myself in that situation. And you know me. I'm awkward. I'm socially awkward. I might say the wrong thing. (laughs) So I need to know what to say. Help me out. When we come back, question of the day, part two, the answer is, well, because that's the industry and the way it works, even if the way it works sucks. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined by Frank Dolce, Ute Insider and Analyst for The Zone Sports Network. Frank joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. Luke. Hope you guys are well. Yeah, I'm feeling. We great. are well. I did. I did 50 push-ups this morning, like uh, Westbrook does when he wakes up each morning to get his body in condition. So I am ready to go, Frank. How many push-ups do you do during the day or during a week? Would you say? Uh, let's see. I did them today. I did 50. So about 50. Would 50 also be like if you? took the last several weeks and counted up all your push-ups, would 50 still be the number? Yeah. What you're saying is, is 50 code for zero? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did 50 this morning. My pecs are feeling great. We're moving forward. So you did 50 today, and now we're moving forward. Now you can do 50 tomorrow or the next day. I mean, you're on a roll. (laughs) Thank you. I'm trying to get rid of the rolls. (laughs) (laughs) Man... Isn't that the dumb thing about getting old? I know. It's like you do double the work, half the result, and <laughs> triple the recovery time. I know. I graduated high school at 140. I couldn't put a pound on me to save my soul <laughs> when I needed it did then. Guys, did you guys happen to see this, the uh, series on Showtime called, uh, was it called Four Kings or The Kings? I don't know. Didn't see it. With... With Roberto Duran and Thomas Hearns and Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, I'm aware of them. Four-part series. What was it about? Well, I'm, 
Yeah, it was just about those four guys and their careers and how they intertwined. And uh, I would I, I, I would highly recommend it. It's cool. like I grew up in that era, so yeah. I, I it was kind of, you know, hearkening back. But I, you just mentioned that you were 140 pounds, and I never knew it. But, like, those guys who were these unbelievable professional boxers, like, they weighed in at, like, 140 pounds. Yeah. I, I, it, it just never dawned on me that they were that, you know, they were tiny, <laughs> tiny little guys. Uh-huh. I wouldn't get in the ring with them. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Well, 50 push-ups today, I mean. <laughs> Frank, there's a question on the minds of Ute fans everywhere. Having watched Oregon State run all over Utah, they're a little worried UCLA is going to do the same. Those two teams are ranked 1-2, Oregon State 1, UCLA 2. Uh, as far as rushing yards per game in Pac-12, among the Pac-12 schools, they are 1-2. and two. So is UCLA going to literally follow in Oregon State's footsteps? Well, they should. Uh, I mean, if I if I'm looking at the tape, then then I think that's exactly what you would do is figure out what did how did Oregon State block that up front, and and then design as closely as you can your run game based on what the Beavers did because Utah just they just couldn't stop it. They couldn't figure out how to stop it. And I, you know, I, I looked at the scoreboard. It was like they had 140 yards rushing in the first half, and I just thought, and Utah was up, and I thought, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't going the right way. Like this doesn't sound, feel like it's going the right way. And and then you know, they just kept pounding the ball at the line of scrimmage. So I, I really thought Oregon State took over the game at the line of scrimmage in the second half. I thought it was a more even battle in the first half, and certainly Utah was having success on the offensive side but uh but you but ucla has a little bit different weapon at the quarterback position so um I, I said a few weeks ago the two teams that made me the most nervous about utah's upcoming schedule were arizona state and uh, ucla and then i put oregon state third um and so this is the big one. I think this is a really big matchup this weekend. Certainly a beatable team in UCLA, but they have they have so much talent and ability on the offensive side. If Utah can't figure out figure it out, then who knows? Maybe it just turns into a shooting match. I like the Utes in this game for a couple of reasons. Uh, Thompson Robinson has not been practicing. I don't believe they're as good as a passing attack because the Beavers did hit on some couple of throws there that made a difference, and I'm not sure that the Bruins can do that. And then also, the one thing that I've had time to think about this, and we had Nick Ford on, and he was talking about that you know, he moved to center last season. Well, they didn't play in front of any crowds. It was like it was totally different. He's talking about this year, uh, early on, he had some center exchanges uh, issues with the quarterback because he was hyped up. The crowd got him going, his adrenaline and all that stuff. He was gripping the ball too tight. And so I think what's apparent to me is that this team that we thought was going to be last year because they needed to reload after 2019 when they send, what, eight, nine guys, seven guys drafted, mm-hmm. nine, ten guys go to the NFL. And that's very impressive, right? Half of your starters basically are in the NFL today yeah. uh, when you include the 22. And so we looked at last year as a reloading year. And then they got 
what five games out there, but they were they weren't really anything close. You, you, there's no way you can equate playing in Provo to anything you did last year. It's just it's impossible. And there's no way you can equate playing at uh, Oregon State uh, like what you had last year. So basically, what we thought we were going to get last year. We're getting an extension of it this year because all these young guys are having to get this experience. And you look at it, they're four and three. Interestingly, all three games that they've lost have been on the road, which is a sign of an inexperienced, immature team. And we thought they were past that. So I think I underestimated that. So as I step back and look at it through seven games, I can see where they're at this year because of what happened last year. If they had a normal year last year, then I wouldn't say it, but they didn't. So that's where they're at this year. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, uh, it, it certainly does give you a sign, a, a sign of the maturity of the team, uh, the road losses. I think they're getting close, and I think they've been close, but, but they just it's, it's like you have to win a messy game you have to win a blowout game. You have to win a game on the road. I mean, these are all the things that help mature uh, a football team. And so uh, that's the, that, it seems like that's the missing piece is the game on the road. Now, fortunately, I think for Utah, if you look at the, if you look at the upcoming games, um, well, they have UCLA at home. They have Oregon at home. And Colorado. Um, so Stanford and, and, and Arizona away. Stanford and Arizona in a way. So, so maybe you say, okay, Arizona, that's a, that's a very gettable game yep. on the road. Um, Stanford, who knows what Stanford is? Exactly. I mean, Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Who knows what Stanford is? But you have three, three games at home that two of your toughest opponents. So that's, I think that's really, yeah. that's, you know, that's a good, that's a good thing for Utah. But Which yeah, is why I think I, they're going to win the division. You do. Well, I, that, I do. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not so far behind you on that. I mean, I think that's. I think that's a real. I think that's a real possibility. And if you want, if you looked at what Utah did against Oregon State, even with, you know, giving up the massive amounts of yards on the road um, against Oregon State, um, I'm not saying Utah should have won that game because if they should have won the game, then they would have scored twice from the right. one yard line, right. and and they wouldn't have given up a blocked punt. But they certainly had opportunities to win that game, even with. You know the the really rough defensive effort against the run. So I like this football team. I like what Cam Cam Rising is doing. You know he's probably he, he would he would want a couple plays back in that Oregon State game. He missed a guy in the back of the end zone. Maybe that makes a difference. Who knows? But but uh, and 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 I like the way the offensive and defensive fronts have come along. I just. You know, I just happen to think that Oregon State's a pretty darn good football team, and they're really well coached. So as much as I want to say, well, Utah should have done, Utah could have done, I, you know, I think you have to give a little credit to, to Oregon State because of what they did and what they accomplished. That's a, good, that's a good football team. But I do like Utah moving forward. So I'm curious, and this gets pretty optimistic, so maybe it's just, you know, wishing for what you're going to see and thinking you're seeing it, but the first four games, the Ute offense wasn't very productive. And there's a lot of, if you go through their stats, there's a lot of games where they, uh, I mean, the first game against Weber State set it aside because they had their 450 yards against Weber State. But the next three games, 
Yeah, the offense is cranking out about 350 yards a game. These last three games, like 455, 468, 493 yards. If you're cranking out that kind of yardage every week, you're the number one offense in the Pac-12. Oregon State leads at like 445 yards per game. Do you think the Utes have taken a real step And what we've seen in October? They've achieved a level that they could not do in September. This is now who they are, because if it is who they are, they've got a chance to win these high-scoring games you're talking about, assuming they don't have multiple problems in the red zone like they had at Oregon State, where they had them, but they still scored 34 points. And if they hadn't had them, then it could have been half a hundred, as the old ball coach likes to say. Yes. Yes, uh, yes, a wonderful phrase. So, I, I think that what we've seen out of uh, of this Utah football team is uh, glimpses of being like that good. Like if they play up to their potential, like we saw in lots of lots of plays against USC, half against Washington State, maybe half against Oregon State. If they play up to that potential, then I don't see deficiencies. I don't see any deficiencies. Like, they can score a lot. They can stop people. Um, they're good in special teams. So they should win a lot of games if they're playing at their highest level. But then, then the, the other side of it is that you see – you actually see you saw two blocked punts. One got called back because number eight showed up twice on the field for Oregon State. Um and and then you see this inefficiency at the goal line pop up, and then you see you know a 58 yard run pop up. So, uh, and that's that's not an A effort. You know, if if Utah's playing at their A effort, I don't see deficiencies with the team. But the you know the problem is they just it's no team plays up to their a effort all the time so utah's going to have to eliminate as much as possible or limit you know the the c effort the average effort um or, or I, I shouldn't say effort it's not, i i don't want to make it sound like these guys aren't trying it's it's a c productivity you know below average productivity if they get into that then they that they get themselves in trouble but but when they're when they're on top of their game they're i think they're really good yeah, yeah. It's just that they have a level of inconsistency right now that they're mm-hmm. going to have to work through. And we'll see it. We'll see it over time. And they do need they do need some, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, seminal moments away from their crowd. You know, they got it in 2018. They got it against Washington on that uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and then and then and and one of the guys <clears throat> said to me as we're walking off the field, we don't we've never had a win like this since we've been in this conference. This is exactly what we needed. Now we can take off, and yeah. from then on out, the next year they only lose one conference game, and they run mm-hmm. away they run away with the division, and so I I think and we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I mean, actually, Kyle said this on Monday. He said, you know, we're going to be okay in the long term. And to me, they're going to go in next year as a heavy favorite to win the South. And and it's going to be in terms of the favorite. It's going to be like it was two years ago. But they needed this time to reload. And last year, and you can't really have uh, 
pity on them because last year was screwy for everybody. It's just that they were the team that lost so much the year before. You see what I'm saying? So the circumstances were different, and they'll come out of it. And and next year, I think they'll be really good, and they'll be okay this year. Just I think we just underestimated this developing process that they needed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the youth of the team, um, the inability uh, to to understand who should be the the starting five up front, the the quarterback issue, um, figuring out how to be how, how Utah plays at the defensive front, the defensive front seven, the defensive line. All of those things are. I mean, it's a young it's a young group. I think in one in one game this year, Utah had eight. Uh, under maybe eight freshmen, eight underclassmen on the defensive side um, of the ball in a in a game. Right. Uh, it's a, it's just a young, you know, it's a young and it's a developing football team, and so, and we don't. I mean, we we just feel like as fans, we're always like, well, you know, you just reload, right? And you just reload, and you just reload, and you know, that's that's so difficult. That's so difficult to do. And uh, and so I, I you know what whatever Coach Whittingham has done with this this crew to get them back on track um, and to get to the point where where we can say like if this team's playing up to its potential they're they're a really tough out like they're they're not going to lose many games when they're playing up to their potential they could find themselves you know in a in a very nice situation at the end of the year I think that's a tremendous coaching job there were there were times early in the season where we thought. Oh man, this Utah football team—they may not get to 500. I mean, that, and that's an enormous turnaround to this point. Frank Dolce, former Ute quarterback, join us talking about the Utah UCLA game, and uh, I am—I am curious in this one when you look at the receiving group, how much faith do you have in the guys who are in the middle of this process? PK's talking about to make big plays at big times, whether it's. Uh, Kincaid adjusting to this level of football. Uh, Devon Vele's come on and made some plays. Anybody else you've seen? What do you think about the ability of the receivers to make big plays in a passing game with the game on the line against a quality opponent like UCLA? I love the tight end group. Uh, and I, I don't know if, if Kincaid adjusted to this level of play. I think he's always been playing at this level. And now he's just in the, he's just in the right spot. Like, that that guy is really good. Heathy is really good. Fotheringham's really good, but because those other ty- two guys are so good, you hardly talk about them. So the tight end group is fantastic. I think you, you can rely on those guys to go make you play almost any time you need someone to make a play. And then, um, and then the biggest surprise to me, the most pleasant surprise to me, has been the evolution of the receiving group. Coach Whittingham talked about all of the talent he had at the receiving group and three games in, I think we were still kind of scratching our heads. Like where, okay, where are all these guys? I mean, he's talking about, they've hardly caught a pass, you know, nobody's getting separation. Nothing's happening with this group. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, Howard, um, the guy that we thought we'd be talking about Solomon Enos. I think he just had one catch against Oregon state. Uh, and you're talking about guys like Money Parks, and um, of course we're talking about Britton Covey because every time he touches the ball, it's pretty exciting. Dixon and I'm, I'm and, and Jalen Dixon. I, I know I'm leaving guys out, but but so so that's 
I think to me that's the biggest that's the group that's that has made the biggest impact uh, a group that we didn't we were we just weren't sure about I guess coming into the season it was always my big question mark about the offense is you know what do they have on the outside and I think they've demonstrated in several instances this year the ability to get separation the ability to be very reliable in critical situations and the ability to make a big play well frank you go do some push-ups oh yeah i get yourself ready for the game saturday i do at least 50 push-ups every day my dad my dad's an old wrestler like and so he, I think he still does like a hundred push-ups a day, <laughs> like that's his thing. Nice. When he was, when he was in his rest, wrestling career, you know, when he started in high school and went through college and everything, and he he was doing like a thousand push-ups a day. Wow. I know. I've never got to here. that level. I've always <laughs> felt a little bit lacking because I've never reached the level. <laughs> My dad, you need to talk to Ron Boone. You need to talk to Ron Boone. Booner always said, after 50 push-ups, you're just showing off. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah well, I heard him say it multiple times. So That's why people that's, gather around me at the gym. After 50, just showing off. <laughs> that's a quality statement. I, you know, Hersh- Herschel Walker was always the one who, like, he yeah. never worked out. He looked like a guy who just spent his whole life in the gym, but he was just doing push-ups and pull-ups and whatever else, body weight stuff that's he did. That's what he said, he was, yeah unbelievable athlete yeah but i don't know maybe you guys want to do a challenge you want to do like a push-up yeah, challenge DJ will do it. We'll, we'll talk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it we can talk about it next week maybe we can get the whole station involved yeah. i don't know i'll be doing you one-handed know? push-ups in no time <laughs> no time at all thanks sly yeah all right frank we gotta <laughs> run thanks a lot enjoy the game we will talk to you next all week right. you, you guys are the best hey all thanks right. i appreciate it frank dolce you hear him on all the shows all week long right here on The Zone, talking youth football. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, is coming up at 9.05. And it's the way the industry works. Isn't right, but it also isn't surprising. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. The new Zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Purchase Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream. Starting as low as $30 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat tickets now. Just had that built Bar read, PK. Yeah. And I was uh, flipping around last night, and I came in in the middle of the story on NIL, but uh, that Brian Gumbel show on HBO, Real Sports. Gotcha. They were doing a story on that, and as I was channel surfing, Monday Night Football on a commercial break, wow, Clipper game, that looks lopsided. And flip over to HBO, and there is Algier into the end zone against Boise State. Yeah. And they're doing the NIL story, and they're just about to sit down with, um, I think it was Nick Greer was the guy's name, from Bilt Bar. And Nick Greer, the CEO. Right. And 
man, they got some free pub out of that. Well, they were all hyped up on it on the uh, walk-on situation. Mm-hmm. They did a big segment on, well, if the walk-ons are scholarship, and they explained, well, if a guy wants to go to BYU, but they don't have scholarships, so he's going to go to a second choice, now he can go walk on at BYU. I and saw so, that piece. Yeah, you saw it too. So if you're wondering, well, they're giving a lot of money. What are they getting out of it? And he's in that piece talking about how, well, he wants to do this in multiple colleges across the country. And when you think about, well, who, if you're doing a a protein bar, who is your audience? People who eat protein bars. Right. And who are those people? (laughs) Well, I don't know that you can single them out. 20-something guys. Uh, That that could be a core. I know you've got it. You're a fitness guy. Sports fans. You can see why they went... It could be, but anybody. that can get you a bigger bang for your buck, right? Than doing Joe Blow, who's right. a high school teacher. Yes, I understand that. Yeah, HBO called my wife a few weeks ago, and she mistakenly answered it. <laughs> Not HBO, uh, Direct uh-huh. called her and said, "Hey, you've been a loyal customer, and so we want to give you HBO for three months for free." So she said, "Okay, <laughs> all right." Yeah. So normally, yeah. I don't have any movie channels that I pay for. And so we've got that. She's, she said, but then they want to charge you. She said, but don't remember, don't, for, don't worry. I said, I put a reminder in my phone to tell me in January. Drop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but f- until then. You got uh, it. We got it. So I did see that very thing that you're speaking of. Yeah. And I thought, was yeah, for, for your product, Bill Bar hit a, a jackpot as far as I'm concerned. They're here. getting free pub on HBO out of it. Exactly. Precisely. Yes. Sweet. And And it's part of a bigger strategy to connect with college athletes all around the country. And if it works, I don't know that it'll work around the rest of the country. Uh, Maybe it will. But here, BYU football is such a big deal that now when I'm driving on I-15 and I see Built Bar, I immediately think of BYU. Mm -hmm. The, The relationship. It was a genius move by those people. Good on them. Sell your product. You got a product, and way to go. Uh, and I assume he's a BYU entrepreneur, and super, <laughs> absolute genius move. Can it work other places? I don't know, but you can give it a shot. I had heard that some people in Boise were talking about it too. That wait a second, BYU's getting a leg up on us. What do we got to do here? Because you know they're they're even a smaller place and. Boise State football, but it's the big dog in the area. Yeah, and it's so not at an that NFL local town. level, it's not it's, an NFL. It's town. awesome. Right. So why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't Bill Bar go to Boise and do it? Mm-hmm. Because you can have that same type of recognition driving whatever their freeways are in Boise. I've been to Boise many times. Fifteen, eighty-four. I, I don't know what they are, but uh, yeah, you see those billboards. So yeah, I they did. I thought as I was watching this, thinking, yeah, okay. But how many guys, there's some, how many guys are going to be deciding between uh, Oregon State or walking on at BYU? I just don't think there's going to be that many guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if if you get one guy out of it, great. Then that's a positive. But see, they go, well, all these walk-ons they've had. I put out a statement on Twitter the other night that Algier is the best walk-on that they've ever had. <laughs> you love stuff like that. <laughs> Just You'd love to do that. <laughs> You'd love to do it to me until I finally saw it for what it was, and now you're doing well, it to I gotta generate people. emotion. That's my yeah. job. And so, oh, you got Chad Lewis, you got oh, Dennis yeah. Pitta, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, 
I happen to think a running back is more important than tight ends. Uh, tight ends are valuable for sure, but I think a running back who's carrying the ball 32 times and rushing for 190 yards is more important than a tight end who's catching five or six passes. Just a sheer numbers game. But they'll say, well, you'll get those types of players. Well, the truth is you're already getting them. Tyler Algier already went there. Chad Lewis already went there. Dennis Pitta already went there. They're going to get more of those guys. Maybe they do, but I doubt it. Well, I think the numbers you're talking about, instead of having one or two guys who were walk-ons who are now contributing to you big time, do you end up with two or three guys? Maybe. I agree, because the limiting factor here is presumably you're giving scholarships to the right guys. That's what I'm already that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, yes. But if but there, there are going to be guys. But if there is a squeeze at a position and you can't give that position more scholarships, but now you get the walk on and tight ends actually a great example because you don't usually have that many tight ends. Mm, but if you got five. if you got two in the same year and you only have the scholarship for one, do you get two of them now? Uh, that but that's all in theory. It is. It is. And, and there will be years, I assume, where it won't make a difference, but there'll be years where it does. See, I don't really care about that. It's the player who gets to be on scholarship. Whether he contributes just to special teams or he's a scout team player well, or what have you. there are kids who can now walk on who couldn't walk on before. Because before when you're walking That's on, the, most important the family thing. has to be able, somebody's got to be able to afford it. And now but, somebody doesn't have to be able to afford it. You can't afford it, but you but can still pull it off. But if you can't afford it, then you're not going. Right. You're presumably going to another school and getting a scholarship. Or junior college or whatever yeah. it might be. And So I, I don't know how much effect it's going to have, but it's a great idea. And from a marketing campaign, it's absolutely awesome. Right. If they can get their, what is it? It's just tuition. Is that what? Yeah, it's, I think it's six grand for covering. So if tuition. you're if you're a member of the LDS faith, it's six grand. If you're a non-member, it's up to twelve grand. Well, they charge you double. They do. Well, then get baptized and you can save money. Be a great financial move. Yes, it could be. Right? <laughs> you know people who've actually said stuff like that along other lines. So, <laughs> also a good point. <laughs> Wait, so this will be the first time you can get baptized. Oh, this is going to get me in trouble, but it's funny anyway. Uh, this will be the first time you get baptized for money as opposed to a girlfriend. You're right. That'll get you in trouble. <laughs> Oh, like that hasn't been done. <laughs> nope, never. <laughs> Come on. You want real talk? You get it here. And we appreciate it. And then there was the point I was going to make in this segment before I got into the Bill Bar stuff. Oh, I thought that was the point. No, it wasn't. I got another one. Oh, really? I'm really going to land I, this I legitimately twice. thought this I was yeah, that's what I thought that was the tease. I've teased it twice. I'm going for the hat trick. I We're thought little... that was it. Well, when I hit the read, I thought, I really want to talk about the HBO segment. I got this other thing I really want to talk about okay. that is going to... I think this ties into the Aggies and into the Utes and into the Cougars. They're all their football programs, even though it happened in another state. And we'll get to that next. Stay with us. We promise. (laughs) It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over. 
until it's over. It's a game Cougar fans have circled for a long time as Bronco Mendenhall makes his return to Provo as the Cougars welcome in the Virginia Cavaliers. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join Jake and Ben Friday at the warehouse from 10 to noon. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Ha ha ha! Boom, kaboom! Boom, boom, kaboom! So Matt Wells gets fired at Texas Tech two and a half years in, and his second year was the COVID year. It's a joke. It's a joke. What'd you freaking hire him for? Was he supposed to walk on water? Schools that don't get their place in the pecking order, that want to be better than they are. Everybody. Texas Tech, away from the uh, major population bases, halfway across West Texas, looking at what Baylor and SMU are doing and thinking, why not us? And go to Lukenbach, Texas, it's Waylon and Willie and the boys. But if you know you don't have the right guy... If you've seen stuff behind the scenes. How do you know you didn't have the right guy? You just barely got there. Did, I don't know the situation. Did, did the AD and the president, did they change? I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know if he's got the I don't know if he's got the AD who hired him. But giving someone an extra year when there's some doubt has paid off for local schools. Gary Anderson didn't exactly jump into the deep end of the pool and have success right away at Utah State the first time he was there. Now it ends up going great, and they have the 11-win season, and they win the whack. And he gets a Wisconsin job off that. Kyle had two five and sevens, and some other places they might have let him go, but you give him one more year, things get rolling, and man, it's a good thing you waited that out. Well, LSU, let me get rid of a... Uh, what's-his-face, deep-throat dude. Orgeron. After two years of removed from winning the whole thing. A year and a couple of games removed, yeah. He didn't even get the full two years. I mean, ultimately, they're going to let him coach the second year, but they already made the move. Right. Halfway through. And last year was a screwy year. Does it wreck you that much? Do you lose that much ground if you give someone one more year? Croton had two bad years, and they gave him a third year, and he had a third bad year, and they let him go. And you were on the beat then, and you know that there were people advocating for letting him go after two. No question. But ultimately, it didn't hurt them that they gave him. It didn't pay off either. But it didn't hurt the program the third year. Yeah, but you don't know that. You're, you're looking in retrospect. Right. I, I am looking in retrospect, absolutely. But I'm trying to use history to be your guide the next time. Does it hurt you that much to okay. give somebody one more year? But at the same, I get your point, but at the same time, if you're going to fire somebody, do it. Clay Helton. Okay, you can argue he you could have done man that walking. three years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. But if you're determined to do it, do it. Even if it's ridiculous, we do is it. what we think looking at Texas Tech from afar. Not knowing what's going on in the building at 5.30 a.m. I have just been told there's no athletic director change there. Okay. So it's the same guy. It seems awfully early in the process. You're Texas Tech, too. Now, I've never been to Lukenbach or Lubbock. Why do you say Lukenbach? Because it's a, it's a country song. Okay. Let's go to Luke and Buck, Texas. Cliff Kingsbury won eight games there, went eight and five in his first year, 2013. Look at him now. He's seven and zero. That was their last eight-win season, 2013, eight years ago. 
They haven't had a seven-win season since he did it in 2015. Four, four, five, six, five. I mean, it's it's one mediocre season after like another. And and diving and, uh, and Wells last year, the two <laughs> not yeah right. The two non-league games that they didn't play typically are wins. They'd have been six and six, but they played ten games in a screwy season. Mm-hmm. Or he'd have been six and six and bowl eligible. It was a bad look last Saturday because they had the lead against K State and then it lost. Yeah. They had a decent sized lead. I was 24 or something like that. Uh, and because I, I have to admit, admit I, not that I was buddies with Matt, but I know him a little bit. We had him on the show. I talked to him. And so I follow him and I root for, root for him to do well. So I always was aware of. Case, what was uh, going on uh, at Texas there. Tech? Every yeah. time you, even, yeah. even if it was just the ticker while you were watching another game, you're exactly. like, what's Wells doing? Right. Well, and I did question, and it was clear he was going to take whatever Power Five job he was going to get, basically. And when he took that job, and you I, thought that's uh, a tough job. Yeah. That's yeah. a tough job. You know, are you going, you're probably going to end up getting fired, mm-hmm. but not. Not after two and a half years. years. And I don't even consider last year a full year. So. It just seems so premature. And who do you have? Do you have some slam dunk dude that you just got to have? I read a list of that yesterday, and it was a list of every coach who's having – like the UTSA coach. Mm -hmm. Well, he's in Texas, and he's 8-0. And and the dream is Sonny Dykes because his dad was there – Oh, for sure. 30 yeah. years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 Absolutely. years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And so he's crushing it at SMU. So it's that kind of list of... And then there's people who are um, uh, USC's offensive coordinator. Harold. Harold has Graham got ties. He's and so, so it's everybody with a Harrell's Texas name. or Texas Tech tie who's an OC or a head coach somewhere and having a bit of success. And they had 8 to 10 names on this list. But again, it's like 8 to 10... Names and lists, and those eight to ten people might be going. Uh, what are your expectations? What's the money? How many years? Oh, yeah, and this sets how much a bad chance to really get. You're, you're dumping some dude before he's had a full cycle. You, if you recruited somebody as a freshman three years ago, they're a sophomore this year, yeah. maybe. Right. If they redshirted and then last year didn't count, they could still be a freshman. I'm not familiar with their roster. I know they got the quarterback from uh, Oregon who transferred over there, Phoenix kid, Shuck. Shuck, yeah. Uh, I know that. Well, the Columbia kid went with Wells down there he to did. Texas Tech. He did, yeah. Three coaches in five years. It's... But you're looking at Utah State where he was at, and they make a coaching change and come off a one-win season, and now they're leading the division clearly with yeah, the inside Yeah, because he brought track. in 16 transfers. And who's to and say the And he brought the in the best coach. offensive player and the best defensive player. Who's to say the next Tech's coach won't do the same who's thing? Who's to say Matt Mells wouldn't have done, done the, the same, same thing? thing. <laughs> and there's college football today. When we come back, Dylan Cauley, stay with us, former BYU wide receiver on Bronco. And UVA and a couple of 6-2 and two teams going at it. That's next. Stay with us. DJ PK and Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us, which doesn't really do justice, and we will get to that in just a moment. Dylan joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. 
Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. Dylan, I've been trying to reconstruct the last decade of your life and your playing career because I think that you have done a great job of crossing paths with all the stories we're dealing with, and we want to thank you for that. Good work. Hey, that's what I'm here for. It's a valiant effort. A lot of time spent, a lot of moving, but here we are. All worthwhile. Okay, so let's go through the resume and make sure I've tracked this right. 2012, you're in the BYU program, you're a freshman, and Broncos the head coach, right? Correct. 2013 and 14, you're on a mission, you're out of college football, you're back in 2015, you go to Hawaii and play for Norm Chow, who used to be on our show weekly, right? Yes, sir. And then you have the coaching change. Rolovich comes in. You're there with him for two years in 2016 and 17, and that's why you were able to give us a lowdown on the Utah-Washington State Rolovich stuff last week. Correct. And then you transfer back to BYU in 2018, and you play for Kalani, and now we can ask you about Kalani and Bronco because you played for them both, and they're about to go head-to-head. Way to go, Dylan. You're Absolutely. the man. <laughs> Way to throw yourself. Just a journeyman. <laughs> Way to throw yourself in the middle of all the stories. So it was freshman no Dylan who saw Bronco, and then it was senior veteran return missionary, well-traveled, double transfer, working on his fourth coach. So I get that you see Kalani at a different time in your life with different experiences uh-huh. and all that, but I am curious how they're the same and how they're different from the fan perspective and the media's perspective. We get that, but when you're in a weight room, in a film room, in a practice with them, in a locker room, you know, halftime speech, you see stuff we don't get to see. So delving into that stuff, what have they got in common and what's different? Yeah, I think one of the main things that they have in common is their genuine care for the the individual player um you know and the well-being outside of football they both approach it very differently um in their personalities but uh, one of the things that you kind of noticed and saw from the very beginning of whether it be the recruiting process or even just being a part of the team uh, the love that they have for the individuals is far none um probably, you know, greater than most people, uh, even outside of coaching. <laughs> and so that is something in, you know, quite possibly outside of maybe that love, that genuine love and appreciation for BYU. Um, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I think there's, you're not looking at two more different people, um, you know, in, in a coaching career, in a personality and in, in, in a perspective aspect. They're, they are very, very different than they are common. So when you were there, what type of level of respect did the players have for Bronco? Uh, a ton. It was, it was extremely high, high respect. Obviously, right, when you talk about someone who wants to put you and wants to keep that level un, of uncomfort to make sure that you are progressing, Bronco Mendenhall is that guy. Uh, he has a very unique way of ensuring that the discipline on the football field um, and off the football field is, is taken to that next level. And that was, at the time, what BYU needed, and it worked for the personalities that were within the program. As we look at today's culture and today's day and age and what Kalani has been able to do in that transition period, I mean, we're going from what was Gary Croton's experience and almost on the opposite side when it came to the values and what 
you know, BYU was hoping to achieve out of the culture aspect and what message they wanted to push, you know, I think everyone understands Coach Croton was on the completely other side. And so Bronco came in as a way to bring it back. And to a lot of people, it was on the complete opposite side. <laughs> For me personally, I think Kalani does a very good job. And because the time was right, balancing that right in the middle right. and ensuring that the values and standards of BYU is still the priority, but you know, football, football matters. Football is fun. Football is exciting. Uh, and there's that, that level of joy that comes from it. Yeah. See, I think that's very perceptive Dylan, because I keep saying that Bronco and I was working for the newspaper at the time and I was the beat guy. So I'm down there every day and you had more, way more access than you have now. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so you got to know people in the program. You got to know the coaches a lot better. And the idea of Bronco was the right man at the right time, I think, is what sums it up for what the program needed at that time. He was the man. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, there wasn't a better guy for what that, the goal of the time was. Um, and I think he achieved that. Yes. We've been talking about Matt Wells getting fired at uh, Texas Tech in the middle of his third year when his second year was a COVID year. Recruiting's all out of whack. Games are out of whack. Everything's crazy. And I want to kind of contrast that to Kalani growing into the job. I think anyone who listens to him talk now versus two years ago versus his first year on the job, it's clear he's growing into the job. Now, not every job is there to be grown into. Right, there are some jobs where you got to come in, hit the ground, and deliver. But I also think there are times you make hires, and you know you have to let this person grow into the job. It's their first head coaching job in the case of Kalani, or maybe it's at a school with a whole different recruiting base and budget and staffing and all that, whatever it is. And I'm curious what you think from what you're seeing with Kalani now and what you saw when you were in the locker room. How is Kalani changing and growing? Yeah, I mean, I think the the focus that he has put on the head coaching experience is, is huge, and it is a lot different. Um, I think when you look at the first couple of years and the struggles that were there and obviously expected, but you look at the people that were brought on and hired uh, and the effectiveness that it had in regards to the football. Um, and, you know, there were struggles. And the expectations, uh, and I think the pressure that was put on Kalani to fulfill both the personal and the football uh, responsibility was very difficult. And to ask a first-time head coach to do those things as friends or family can, can be very, very, very strenuous. And so to kind of relieve the pressure by bringing in maybe not his closest friends or even maybe just acquaintances or people that he's you know, coached with in the past, he obviously wanted to make sure that he trusted him as people, and that's why you see Fessy on the staff. That's why you see A-Rod on the staff, obviously all extremely deserving of their job, but there wasn't as much of a social pressure uh, in, you know, in, in having them on the staff, whereas before I think he was still in a place of trying to uh, please right, the people he loved and the people he cared about, which is – a very, very difficult, difficult thing to do, especially when you have as much love for the people in your life as Kalani does, because there's very few people who love more than Kalani does. Oh, for sure. 
Uh, how bad do you think that BYU needed to win that game going into this game? So beating Washington State instead of being five and three, six and two going into this game. Uh, it was huge. It was huge. I think it was bigger for the offense than it was the defense to be able to kind of get the ball rolling again, see where aspects of the game, you know, may have been slowed down uh, to really open that back up and gain confidence against a team like Washington State. You know, uh, I wish it would have been more, but I believe it was enough to really go in and and be confident uh, this, this week. Dylan Collins, Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. I am curious when you were uh, in uh, when you were playing for Bronco the first time. Did you ever see him as a coach who'd have a team throwing for more than 400 yards per game and second in the country in passing yardage? Because that didn't really occur to me. <laughs> and and they had teams that threw the ball well, but they didn't have teams that throw the ball like this. Like yeah. 300 yards per game is a lot of yards. 350 is another step. 400, that, that's a massive number. Uh, and to be honest, no, I didn't. Um, I think the expectation for I, this, this genuinely shows what the ability that Bronco has as a, as a football coach. is one of the best football coaches in all of football. Bronco has the ability to understand where the weaknesses are as a defensive mind, exploit those weaknesses for an offense, and then demand growth. And he's going to demand growth until it is up to his level of expectation. That is going to take time. But based off of where he's recruiting, who he has access to, the resources that he has available to him today, which was a lot different back in 2006, 2007, you know, 2012, right? The, the access that he has to the talent, to the resources and the money, and then his expectation of absolute perfection, uh, you know, the stats, yes. Are, are very surprising. Am I surprised that he was truly capable of achieving something to that level? No, I'm not surprised at all. How does a head coach balance discipline with at the same time making sure that the player knows he loves them? That is, that's a great, great question because it honestly depends on the personality. Bronco is not someone who is going to pull you to the side and have an extremely, you know, personable 20 to 30 minute conversation with you about your personal life. It may be five, it may be 10, right? When Bronco is laughing, he's, uh, you know, the guy really is a a fun person to be around, right? Um, But because he demands a discipline in every facet and he stays consistent with that, it is very easy for players to understand that he isn't, you know, he's not a two-faced guy. He's extremely who he is in the public, is who he is in his personal life, uh, and he stays consistent and disciplined throughout every phase of his life. And so when you have that type of consistency, even if your personality may rub people the wrong way, it's exactly what is needed for the time and the place, right? And so players know that when you have a chance to sit down with Bronco, you're going to feel his love, and you're not in this worry, uh, worried environment because you feel like he's being different, right? You just know, hey, this is who he is 100% of the time. Whereas Kalani, Kalani's going to sit down with you for 30 to 45 minutes and express his gratitude and love for you. Right. 
and he's going to do that through the questions he asks. He's going to do that through his enduring, endearing actions. He's going to do that through, uh, you know, showing the people around you and the people that you love, like your wife and, you know, daughter, uh, that he cares about them, that he knows them as well. So it's just the personality differences are, you know, on two ends of the spectrum, but the way that they show love to each other or like in their own separate ways is through that genuine honesty, trust, respect, all those, all those main things. So knowing these guys, it's interesting to both of us how they've chosen to build programs and how they need to build programs based on who they are. But there's a lot of people listening to this who just want to know who's going to win the game Saturday night. So Dylan, who's going to win the game Saturday night? And I, I think, I obviously, I, it comes down to the way that the defense plays. It comes down to the way that the defense adjusts. It comes down to the way that they are able to stop the pass game. Um, to be honest, a lot of people may not like this, but I don't think it's going to take pressure. It's not going to take bringing the house. Really? Um, it is honestly going to take understanding assignment football defensively so that you are not exploited. Uh, because if you shy away from the assignment, right, and you try and roam or you try and play your own game, Bronco knows exactly how to take control of that. And if there's one person who's not going to let an atmosphere get in his way of being successful, it's Bronco. Uh, so it, I, am, I believe that this will be the toughest game of the year for them. No questions asked. If there is one game, I'm going to sit here and say, yeah, I think Virginia has the upper hand. I believe Virginia has the upper hand. Um, but my hope is that, obviously, BYU shines through and the defense can play assignment, assignment sound, understand what gaps need to be filled and what holes in the defensive uh, backfield need to, be, need, need to be contained so that they don't have the opportunity to throw for 400 yards. If we hold them to 275, Anywhere between 275 and 315, I think we, we win the game. All right. Well, we'll uh, look for that for sure. Yeah, because it's obvious. You look at their stats, and they're throwing the ball like crazy. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, the, the rush three, drop eight, uh, just for some reason, that gets under fans' skin. It does. <laughs> of all the defenses you can and, play. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it, I dare a soul, okay, no, no matter how long you've played football, in today's, day, in today's game where everything is based on reads, from the RPO to the receivers, very rarely do you have a route that is just run, hey, you're going to run a post at eight yards and you're going to hit the angle. Everything is dependent upon what the defensive backfield and the linebackers are doing. As you see three down and drop eight, all of your reads that you've been taught are now – confused and muddled, right? So to be able to read the defensive backfield when they are dropping eight, your routes become, because chances are you're running two routes per play, depending upon what the defense is playing. When you're dropping eight, it becomes far more difficult, far more difficult to make a decision on what route you're going to be running and adjusting to. And so that that hinders a lot of receivers and it hinders a lot of players, including quarterbacks, to be able to read that type of defense. And so that's where I think if you have a team that's running for 400 yards, 
right? A key example of that, 2018 against Hawaii, a team that was averaging over 300 yards, right, my senior year. Hawaii came to BYU, and I think we shut them down for 275 yards because we plugged up every single one of their reads and confused their receivers just by dropping eight. And that is the type of stuff that is, is critical to an offense that's throwing for 400 yards. There's a lot of numbers you can add up that when teams travel two time zones, they don't play nearly as well. And it is exacerbated when a Western team has to play way early in the morning on their body clock or when an Eastern team plays a game that on their body clock runs from like 10 p.m. until 1.30 in the morning. And that's what yeah. Virginia is going to have to do. This game will probably kick off at 10.30 on their body clocks. How big a factor was that? You played in Hawaii, so you did a lot of these. Basically, every game you played, somebody was way out of kilter. How big an impact did you feel when you were having to do it? The, the, night, games, the night games, you're really unaffected. The night games are, are more fun. It kind of takes you back to when you were a kid and the lights went on and you got to go and play football. The morning games, going the opposite way, is one of the more brutal experiences. I mean, you hear about teams waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning for pregame breakfast and walkthrough, which I think is absolutely asinine. Um, <laughs> by the time game time starts at 10, 11 o'clock, people are just exhausted and can't play. Uh, but the ability that you have to wake up early and go and play I mean, if you can do that and play effectively uh, after switching two time zones, then more power to you because that's hands down. Uh, the night games really don't affect you that bad. It's the morning games that are killers. Dylan Colley, former BYU receiver, and I think now we've tapped into your knowledge of all the coaches we need to tap into, Dylan. Good work. I wish you could have played hey, for like yo. 10 more coaches. I think I think I may have set a record, but I'll, uh, I wish I could have more. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk to you again next week, and uh, thanks for coming on. Enjoy the game. Yep, thanks, Jeff. Bye. BYU in Virginia, Saturday night, 8-15, which, of course, we all know means 8-20, 830 starting on ESPN News. You must have said body clock five, in. six times. Body clock. Let me you hear, hear your, your body, body clock. clock. Yeah, Olivia. Your body time. clock? <laughs> And that game will be going the same time as the Utes. Utes are supposed to kick off at 8, Cougars at 8.15, ESPN and ESPN2. So commence channel surfing or multiple screens, whatever you like to do. My body clock is 2 a.m. at all times. <laughs> I'm simply known as last call. <laughs> it's a quarter after... It's quarter after one. One. I'm a little drunk and I need you now. <laughs> Don't believe that hasn't been said to me. I said I can only be in one place. Flagstaff, hello. I'm going to be at one... One place at one time, so sorry. You're going to have to wait. Wait till like a quarter to two. I'll get there. DJ and PK, <laughs> we'll get you up to speed if you join the show late. We'll do that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. Ah! From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. 
Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 9 a.m. Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 Furnace Tune-Up Special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. We have discussed many things today, PK. The Utah Jazz have a game tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Nuggets are going back-to-back. Yeah. Not that back-to-back in Game 4 is all that exhausting. Guys' batteries haven't, uh, haven't run down yet. It's a bigger deal at Game 40 than it is at Game 4. Thurl Bailey let me know that in no uncertain terms once. But nonetheless, they're back-to-back. And they're coming off a loss to Cleveland. They're 2-1. and one. That was a nice win they had over Phoenix. Bad loss to Cleveland. So now, what do you expect out of the Nuggets? I expect the Jazz to win. The way I look at it going forward, unless there's substantial changes, it'll all be about the Jazz. If the Jazz do what they're capable of doing, they will win. Now, obviously, they're not going 82-0 and by any stretch. Dang it! Took if, away my next line. If they were going to have 20 losses, we would consider that a phenomenal season. So they're probably going to have more than 20 losses. Basketball and shooting is fickle and... You know, you you never know early in the season, late in the season, if a guy has a cold or whatever's going on in his personal life, so he's not able to to play to his best of his abilities. Those things those happen, and you can't really sweat those because this is the NBA and games come at you so fast. Uh, but I I'm more focused on the Jazz, but maybe particular earlier in the season because you know see where they're at, and again watch uh, Whiteside, uh, which is. Really, about the only right now foreseeing until Gay gets back, the only new guy who has a chance to make a substantial contribution in a limited role, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? A substantial contribution in a limited role yeah. is a little bit like I need flexibility within a structured system. I, I got you. I like it. Because he's not going to play uh, some big people minutes, would say, but he's going to play important minutes. Right. Some people would say Pascal, but you're figuring Rudy Gay is going to get his minutes well, anyway. I, I think so, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I am curious what they have in him. If for no other reason, then he is a different body type. And for a team that at times needs to be more physical, and I haven't watched him play enough to know this, but just when he checks in and runs on the court, his body type suggests, well, here's a guy who could be pretty physical. You're talking about Rudy Gay? I'm talking about Pascal. Who oh, is Pascal. Yeah. Oh. He is thick. No, yeah, Rudy I, Gay I've watched forever. That's I think what I'm saying. That's I, I think I know what Rudy Gay is. I don't even know that he's going to be in the rotation. Though. I agree. Yeah. But I'm still curious when he comes in, well, what can he give them? I think the one thing we all need to be open to is we know the rotation that's coming back, right? We know those guys. And we know the guys who are supposed to be plugged in, but everything doesn't go according to form. And whether it's someone performing poorly or someone's performing surprisingly well or injuries that force other guys to step up and you got to be ready, your check's clear on the 1st and 15th, you know, it won't go according to plan. And I know the plan is, hey, these seven or eight guys are back and these two guys are new and then this should be what it looks like. But it never goes according to plan. Stuff always gets scrambled. So I am curious, all right, does Forrest shoot it a little better? What do they have in Butler? Pascal, okay, what can he give them? I don't know if any of these guys are going to be called on. I figure somebody's going to be, and what do they got? Uh, and maybe the answer is they got nothing. Yeah, but but see, again, I, mean, I think if you get down to that, that means something else happened. So right, I, but I think something well, I'm ultimately not, I'm will not happen. I'm not going to worry about that until it happens. 
Whereas I know Whiteside is going to be in the mix. He's going to play. Yeah, he's in the mix. Now, here's the other thing. Rudy's come up with these two mammoth games, 20 and 21 boards in a game, which are huge numbers. Here's the night they really need it. I think they need it all the time. But I think that's the his Joker. position. They the Joker they... can rebound. Right, but this is at another level. I mean, he's I mean, averaged... Denver's a better team. Denver's a better team. He's averaged 13 and a half boards each of the last two years. That's his career high. Right. 20 is uh, a couple levels higher. Yeah. But how do you rebound tonight against the MVP, who we know can rebound, and we know second shots are a killer. We've seen Jokic get second shots and punish the Jazz. So it takes zero imagination. I think imagination. going to do what he does. Is this what he does now? Twenty? That that's ridiculous. Well, you have but to have the other team miss shots for you to rebound. True story. So he's not in control of whether the other team misses shots a lot. Uh, they're coming in. Uh, Jokic is coming in off a good game shooting the ball. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Uh, but the other guys yeah, were he had a lot of boards and points. He didn't have that many assists. Right. The other guys were struggling to make shots, which may have hurt his assists. He throws a great pass. Right. And exactly. Then they missed. No, the they shot. just shot forty percent. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Green came off the bench with a 2 of 7, and Porter was 4 of 14, and Gordon was 5 of 14. So That really doesn't surprise me that There's much, three right? guys who really struggled. And if they can get those three guys to struggle again tonight, then the Jazz will be in great shape. I don't look at Porter as a consistent shooter. I look at him as a streaky shooter, and I don't look at Aaron Gordon as a shooter at all. Uh, he's an athletic guy around the rim and can do those types of things. But I think the way the Jazz are set up is Rudy has to have big numbers in rebounding because uh, – you're asking a six-four guy in O'Neal to mm-hmm. rebound, and, and Bogdanovich—that's just not his strength. He got a good offensive rebound the other night, and I was surprised. He got it in traffic, took it away from a guy. Good, yeah. But that's not why—not what we see a lot of, and that's why I noticed it. It's not like this is something he's doing every few possessions. All right, so you got the Jazz and the Nuggets tonight. We spent a little time on that. Rudy Gay is the only guy on the injury report that went out on social media yesterday. Um, Monday Night Football, man, Seattle 2-5. and five. We don't like to see the NFL season so long, and obviously it's getting longer this year, 17 games, not 16. Uh, Seattle's not done yet, but they're pretty close at 2-5. and five. Well, I mean, they got a major injury. Yeah. No Russell Wilson, no offense, hit on one big play, had about 140 yards the rest of the game, had the 180-yard-plus 80, touchdown. Saints win 13-10. They improve to 4-2, and two, and they have got the Packers coming up this weekend, so that'll be a big game. Saints do not have the Packers. Excuse me, Saints have the Bucks. <laughs> Packers have Arizona Thursday night. Uh, that will be 7-0 and Arizona against 6-1 and Green Bay, and Devontae Adams went on the COVID-19 list yesterday. He needs two negative tests 24 hours apart, and he'll be good to go. Hopefully he'll be good to go. I want both those teams full strength Thursday night. Thursday night games tend to be... Division rivalries, okay, a little on the ho-hum side. This is a big game. It's two Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. And I believe in the Packers as a Super Bowl contender more than I believe in the Cardinals, even though the Cardinals have the better record. But I've seen the Packers get to the NFC final a couple of years in a row, and obviously they've done it before that, excluding those two years. So, But the Cardinals, maybe, maybe they are for real. That'd be great. Well, you can be for real and not go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this, there's a lot of good teams in the NFC. They can't all get there. Uh, the Bucks look very good at 6-1. and one, And the Rams are one-loss team that looks very good. The Bucks, Packers, Cowboys, four one-loss teams, plus 5-0 and oh Arizona. I think I'm going to go see the Cardinals in a couple of weeks. Nice. Who are they going to play? When are you going to be there? 
It is the day after the Utah U of A game. Perfect. Might as well double dip while you're on the road with the Utes. Correct. And uh, I've been in deep conversations with someone you know. (laughs) About getting free tickets. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hook me up. (laughs) He's checking, he's told me. Checking? Yes. Cardinal tickets are tough to come by. I bet, right? Turns out when an NFL team gets on a roll, they get real popular. Remember that unpopular NFL team that was winning? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) The only possibility will be the Chargers, and they will give away enough tickets to fill it up if necessary. But other than that, if you win, it'll be full. Yeah, and they got the L.A. thing going on to where you can be fans of the other teams, too. There's so many folks in that region who are from other places, and they bring their loyalties I mean, you go. We to see a, that in Sunbelt markets. We see it in Arizona. Yeah, you go to. Yeah. Uh, How do the Cowboys do, do oh, when they show up in Arizona? <laughs> right? It's absolutely massive. Green Bay does the same thing. Yeah. There's uh, some sports bars in uh, Hermosa right by the water. Mm-hmm. And Sundays, you'll see a plethora of yeah. folks yeah. Uh, bringing, whether it's their Packer or Steelers or yep. Cowboys, uh, whomever, wherever they've come from, because they're coming from everywhere. Chicago Bears. Life in the Sun Belt markets, man. People move in from all over the place, and they come see their teams when they show up. So you're probably going to see the Panthers then, it looks like. I ha- Yeah, it is the Panthers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My uh, wife's family went out to L.A. last week because they're Detroit Lion fans, which is unfortunate right now. But <laughs> well, it's been unfortunate for like 60 years. But they, that's where they grew up. And so it uh, would be my wife's nephews, mine mm-hmm. through marriage. And two of them, they're in their 20s now. And they went out to the game with their parents and wives to watch the, the Lions play the uh, Rams. Which was a good game, actually, on Sunday. Yes, the Lions got out to a lead and the Rams had to work to get back into it and, yeah. and get the win. Mm-hmm. It was effortless for the Rams the first few weeks. And they're still winning, but it's taken a little more work. Got a loss mixed in there. Had a couple of tougher wins. Yeah. The Jets have lost Zach Wilson. The good news for the former BYU quarterback, it's a PCL strain, not a tear. They think he's out two to four weeks. That's going to hurt their playoff chances. Which were already gone. <laughs> the Jets are bringing in Joe Flacco there. He made a trade with That's going to hurt their playoff chances. <laughs> and Flacco will give him a little depth. And a veteran for Wilson yeah. to, to learn bit, from. Testaverde wasn't available? Apparently not. Doesn't Flacco remind you of... Testaverde, <laughs> big Italian guy who's been in the league for a long time? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I don't think Flacco threw as many picks, but, but Testaverde was like, was he like the last of the gunslingers? Like, I'm making a big throw, and it might be a touchdown, it might be a pick, but I'm making it. <laughs> and now guys are more careful with the ball. They were making that point during the Monday Night Football game with Jameis Winston. He didn't have great stats, but he didn't have a turnover. And they won the game. Well, and they won ugly. It was but they won the game like crazy. Yeah, so right. it was going to be hard to throw. Yep. He has the rep for throwing a bunch of picks. Yep. You add all those together. Basically, Seattle, or I should say, New Orleans. The only way they're going to lose that game is if they screwed it up with Russell Wilson being out. And they weren't going to screw it up. He didn't turn it over. They didn't screw it up. They got the win. They're four. It's about winning. And if they're going to compete with the Bucks to win the division, they got a chance to beat them next weekend, and then they'll be right in the hunt. And if they lose, then the Bucks run away with the division. 
Uh, we talked a little bit about Matt Wells. That happened during yesterday's show, though. He is out after two and a half seasons, and one of the full seasons was a COVID season that wasn't a full season. In and out at Texas Tech in a heartbeat. Seems so early to just let him go so quickly. He didn't get a shot to really even build a program. No. Got to get through four years, get to your first senior class, didn't get to do it. And who's going to be your guy that you needed to have it done today? You know what I mean? And I have no information on this, and you clearly had someone um, who at least has some information because we weren't even clear if he was still working for the AD who hired him. Turns out he is. So there are people out there who have more information on this, but honestly, when I saw this and when I saw the numbers, he's 5-3 and three this year, 13-17. and 17, It's like somebody wants him out, and he's got a chance to get some big wins here in the last month because the four teams are playing are all ranked. And if he went 2-2 two and two in those four, he'd be on his way, and they don't even want to give him that chance. Then why he, hire him? I know. And, and Fine, you don't want to give him a chance, but on why the hire surface, him in the first place? He'll probably go 1-3 and or 0-4. But you don't know until you play the games. Crazy stuff happens in college football. Let's see what happens. Well, and somebody in Lubbock said, no, let's not see what happens. Let's I mean, get rid of it. Whatever you want is probably going to be there next month, too. And the names that are thrown out there, the names you would think, they all have ties to you, if not Texas Tech, to Texas football. Plus, you could, hire, you could do all your backdoor, backroom interviewing while Wells was still the coach. It's been done before. Yes. It's a little easier if you just make the announcement and then you do it. But it's been done the other way. But it's not like it's hard to do it that way. It's not. It's not. You're going through third parties and all that. Everybody knows how to play the game. Right. I didn't talk to anybody. Did you fax anybody? <laughs> yeah, whatever it might did, be. Did any? Did your agent or someone else in the agency talk to anybody? Easily done. But that's, that's college football today. After the Washington State story with Rolovich out because of the vaccine mandate there, uh, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's close. Auburn, this is not a state. This is a university deal. Uh, but Auburn University mandated a December 8th deadline for all university employees to be fully vaccinated. Head coach Brian Harson declined to disclose whether or not he received the vaccine or whether he planned to receive it, sticking to his long-running message going back to the summer that he would not discuss it. He tested positive for the virus in August, but that also, while maybe providing a hint, there are certainly breakthrough infections, so that doesn't necessarily mean he isn't vaccinated either. So is another high-profile coach at a Power 5 school, going to be out. Rolovich at Wazoo, and now Harson, who's in his first year at Auburn after leaving Boise State. What is going to happen there? I don't know. Yeah, I think they're off to a 5-2 and two start down there. Oh, fire them anyway. 5-2? and two? Come on. World Series starts tonight. Atlanta at Houston, 6 o'clock on Fox. Houston's got the better record and more postseason experience. Atlanta was a 500 team in like August 6th or 8th or something like that. And now the last two months, two months plus, they've won two-thirds of their games. Well, they got that Hall of Famer Eddie Rosario. (laughs) (laughs) He can't make an out. Rounding into Hall of Fame form recently. When we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. Preach, Reverend Kenahan, preach. He's improving. So now we get to experience the incredible basketball insights of Holly Rowe instead of, say, an NBA veteran like Matt Harpering. Thanks, Ryan Smith, for always improving our jazz experience. (laughs) Yeah, improve it. That man doesn't like change very much. No, he doesn't. 
It's Thurl in that role most of the time. Thurl's kid was getting married, so he missed that oh, game that in Sacramento. Yeah. So Thurl had a had a family wedding needed to be at. So it'll be Thurl. <laughs> family wedding versus work? It'll be Come Thurl on. in that role. Now, they did have two analysts, which is highly unusual, but they had two analysts splitting games. So yes, it would have been last year. It would have been Matt. Matt could have been there if Thurl couldn't have been there, you know, that kind of stuff. So, But that's not going to be Holly's role. Holly Rose role night in and night That's out. That's a tongue twister. And I, clearly, I failed it <laughs> the also. The role of Holly <laughs> First time around, I don't, I don't blame how you didn't. Yeah. So. Well, I maintain my status of. You're I, watching for the game, not for the announcers anyway. Right. There you go. And then Holly was in L.A. I assume that was because of Oregon, UCLA, and college football. She had some football responsibilities there. And then. As often happens in these days, travel was all messed up, and she missed the first quarter of the game. And I thought Bowler Jack handled it yeah. just fine. Bowler, not his first rodeo. So to me, it's the game. But for some folks, all that it stuff is the matters. Answers. So yeah. be it. Yeah. You know, then now we got people listening to us who have decided to take over this segment and take it in the direction they want to go in. Not something we've talked about today, but we're getting feedback on it, so we're going to hit it. PK, go ahead. Tom Hagen reschedule. Top five easiest remaining schedules in college football. Number one, Kentucky. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Utah. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Arizona State. Well, so it's because the conference is mediocre. The conference is mediocre and the division's worse than that. And yeah, and they and <laughs> the Utes have two games who bite. Yeah, and they just uh, Utah just got past the Oregon State game, obviously, which was one of the better teams left on their schedule. The conference schedule is what it is. What do you expect them to do? Right. And Kentucky and Georgia being two of the better teams in the SEC by record right now. What's What point is he making? I think the point is Utah ought to finish strong. However, Arizona State should as well. So there's not a lot of wiggle yeah, room in the Yeah, but I mean, 4-1 and is strong. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to get it done if you're the Devils. Unless the Utes go two and three and two. Right. That tiebreaker looming large right now. Because you can see both teams losing a game. Oh, for they're, sure. They're both flawed. No question. But it's hard to see them losing two games because both teams are pretty good and their schedule isn't hard. Devils, the time we've been talking in this segment, they just got penalized twice <laughs> for holding. Herm was talking about that yesterday. I was listening. He says, you realize every game we're giving somebody 100 yards? <laughs> <laughs> that is such a coach thing Why to say. Why don't you do something yeah. about it? That's the whole field. You're giving them a whole field. You're giving yeah. them a massive drive. Right. If someone goes on a 99-yard touchdown drive, we come in and talk about it. That 99-yard touchdown drive. Kyle's awesome. got all the stats on when you start at your own one-yard line. What happens? You're not supposed to score. Right. They're huge. We've right. seen Army do it a couple of times in past seasons with like a 19-play, 99-yard drive, drive. And it's it's celebrated rare. for a week after. And it's it should be, it's yeah. But that's that's Herm's point is they're giving away 100 yards, and those are 100 yards that are hard to come by. Yeah. So and until you clean that up, you're, you're gonna, going you're to the Vegas Bowl or the whatever bowl, the LA Bowl, the Sun Bowl. Yeah, they're all whatever. They all are in the same group. Right? I mean, they're good for the kids to go play a game, and it's fun and all that stuff, but it's not the goal. They've got Washington State and USC at home, and then they go to Washington and Oregon State. Well, obviously, the Oregon State game is looking huge. Yeah, and Arizona in the finale. So if they But can they win three in a row before then? You fans are like, please, no. Yeah, they one. could. Screw one up. But 
you're talking about a team that just continually they've got bullet holes in their feet because they've shot themselves until they clean it up. They're Why would you expect them yards. They're to giving do away anything? a yeah. length of the field drive. Uh, that Washington State game this uh, this week, one o'clock on FS1. So that'll be on the same time that Utah State. Yeah, Herm's heard. talking about getting at the stadium at four. Dude, what are you getting there so early for? At four a.m. Mm-hmm. I listened to his press conference what yesterday. What does he get there so early for? Sleep for another hour. Get there at five. Well, he always during the week he goes to work out, so he's got his workout done. Uh-huh. And for a 67, 60-year-old man. He's in great shape. He really is, yeah. 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 But he's an early riser anyway, but he feels like he needs to get there. He always gets there five hours early. So what would that be? From five hours early, like five hours on before game day. kickoff? On game day, yeah. Well, yeah. that would be 8 a.m. Right, but he feels like he needs on game day, he feels like he needs to get there much earlier, as wow. you're saying. Because they don't have day games. No, they certainly these don't are have very home rare. Day these, games. Are, these are very rare. But he's got one now. Yeah. And you'd fans are Washington State you know, fans again this week. And you were telling me that they were 15-point favorites. I'm thinking, how could that possibly be? Because BYU struggled to beat them, and they lost to BYU. So why is this? It doesn't seem logical. Now, I don't want to question Vegas. I totally agree because when we were talking about it, when the lines came out, I didn't think it was logical. I thought the logical line was about seven, no higher than 10. Agreed. But if you gave it a six to 10 range somewhere in there, I thought that was about right. And you would know the history of the rivalry better than I would. Is this a team that Washington State historically Mm -hmm. struggles with? Because we do see that in the conference where, for whatever reason, teams, and the line has not moved. I just checked it. So should we go put 20,000 on the Cougars? Um, No. (laughs) You can if you want. I'm not here to judge. But I told you that once a long time ago, I put 20 bucks on a game and I couldn't enjoy the game, and I won. And my uncle, who had no money on the game, told me at halftime I was going to win, even though I was losing, but he could see where the game was headed. And I'm like, why am I doing this? This is torture. Yeah, but you're going to give me 15 points and 100 yards? (laughs) (laughs) I I get the logic. I just don't have the stomach for it. But there is a whole theory out there that the NFL... There's very few games, and a lot of wise guys looking for an edge, so there really aren't many. And then in college, if you follow a couple leagues closely, you'll find lines that are just wrong. And you'll know it because you follow them closely. I maybe follow, this is I don't follow lines closely. Maybe this is one of them. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.